and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Ladies and gentlemen, this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report it is Wednesday. It is June 27th, 2017. Broadcasting from Northwest Pennsylvania here, radio and television studios. I want to thank, I want to thank Global Star Radio Network for broadcasting our show. Also want to thank BTR, Blog Talk Radio, for archiving, broadcasting our show as well. And of course, we appear on YouTube Live. Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I was up early this morning uh, sending out tweets on, on, on... Now, I've got a personal Twitter account. It's at HagmanPI. The reason I mention that... <laughs> oh, I don't even know if I want to get it. There, there, well, okay. Shameless self-promotion plug. How's that? Um, now, uh, you know what? Forget about that. Follow us on our social networking feed. We all have the social networking feeds. Sean, Eric, the tech, I think. All right, tech Eric, yeah. Uh, Joe, me, uh, HagmanReport.com. Let's see, we're flooding the uh, social media with the conservative thought, the conservative moral values that America so, so desperately needs. I have a great show lined up for you today. Uh, bottom of the hour, Matt Bracken, enemies foreign and domestic. You want to know, last week, Stephanie Hamill, we were talking, Joe and I were talking, and, and we were talking together. What would a civil war look like? You know, everyone says, and we say, hey, we're on the precipice of a civil war. Civil war, you know, but what would it look like? Well, Matt Bracken is going to tell us as well. Uh, now he's going to be with us at the bottom of the hour through, uh, for two segments, and then, um, at, uh, the uh, 8.30 hour. Uh, Sergeant Tim Weldon, retired, is going to be with us as well to, to discuss the, to discuss this. And then, of course, uh, the final hour wrapping this up would be Stan Dale from standale.com. So it's going to be an interesting program. Heading the headlines, of course, the Democrats and the FBI collaborated on the Trump smear. This is extremely important because the Trump narrative is falling apart. The components of, or the uh, Russian narrative is falling apart. The components of the Russian narrative include, but are not limited to, of course, the um, the uh, uh, allegations that President, now President Donald Trump, collaborated with the Russians and, and rigged the elections. And everyone believes this without any type of. I mean, everyone believes this. Well, I shouldn't say everyone. Just the mind numbed public who listen to, watch, and except the mainstream media's narrative of, of events. Well, that's far from the truth. The uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, it's not Donald Trump, President Donald J. Trump, who is under investigation. No, it is Hillary Clinton, Bernie, in, uh, Bernie Sanders and his wife, Loretta Lynch, all under FBI investigation. That's correct. Oh. Wait, you didn't hear about that. Hello, is this thing on? Where's the mainstream media talking about this? That's right. That's a distraction. It's a distraction, distraction. from the Russian hacking meddling collusion. 
That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, the, the, this the, is big news. The um, you're right. Yeah, just right. had a little tickle in my throat there. The, uh, you should have a one of the, have an official Hagman Hagman uh, cup. I have an unofficial water Come on. bottle. <laughs> Eric, uh, Eric, you asleep or what? See, official Hagman Hagman coffee cup. Thing weighs about seven pounds and it's uh, empty. It's made in America. I would turn it over to show you it's made in America, but you know. I do every morning make my coffee and drink it out of that Hagman and Hagman mug. So people say, well, where can you get it? Well, you can't right now. You know why? Because the the, the cup, because it's so heavy, the cup costs more to ship than it does. (laughs) What is it, like $12 cup and like $48 shipping? No, it's just, it's ridiculous. I don't know. We're trying, look, we're trying to work things out, okay? So uh, we're not good at this. Go on. Speaking of Trump and Russia and, and the fake news narrative and media that's constantly lying, manipulating, and making up stories and false claims, we had uh, some interesting news about the media this week. CNN had retracted a story about a uh, Russian connection to people in the Trump campaign. They had to retract that story. Then yesterday there, there was a lot of uh, news um, swirling around the report that there was an internal beef at CNN, where well, uh, there's two sides. There's two different stories. Some say that you, they were saying anything that's going to be posted about Trump and Russia needs to come to this person so they right. can you know go through and verify it. Now there's other reports that the owner of CNN, Zucker. Jeff Zucker, yeah, he should be demanding. fired. He should be fired. That man should be fired and prosecuted. I'm telling you, the CNN, the Clinton News Network, the Communist News Network, the crap news network, Zucker should be fired. Go on, sir. Fired? Were fired. You, were you getting some of that southern accent that Obama right. used to get on no, the campaign trail when he was downtown? No, it's Hillary. <laughs> it's both of them. <laughs> but, yeah. So, fired. So there's two reports. That one, uh, Zucker came in and, and said, you know, enough with the Russia coverage. You got everybody who's going to uh, give any stories on Russia needs to come to this person. But then there's another side of the story where they're saying that, Zucker was in there saying Russia, Russia, Russia. This is what we're going to talk about. Nothing else. I, I, either way, yeah. Well, I sent John Bonifield um, a, a, a tweet uh, from my personal account saying, uh, "You know, CNN supervising producer John Bonifield admits mainstream media Russian narrative is bull." But yeah, okay. And, uh, and I said, "Don't you just hate that when that happens, John?" Uh, you know. Uh, because Project Veritas, uh, O'Keefe, yeah. Last night, know, James yeah. O'Keefe from Project Veritas released uh, part one of apparently. Uh, there's a few more parts coming, and they say that the next part's going to be uh, better than the first. The Lois Loomer uh, said she's seen the tapes from uh, Veritas that he plans on releasing on the mainstream media. And if you think the CNN story was big, just wait till the next one. But I think that's going to be coming out either late tonight or tomorrow morning. But this this uh, one that came out last night oh boy. shows uh, a CNN producer. Now he's the producer of the, uh, I believe he's a health news producer. If anything relating to health or wellness, there's a lot of overlap. It but doesn't regardless, really John Bonnefeld, CNN producer, on got was on tape saying the ratings are incredible right now. President Trump is good for business. He also went on to say that the Russian narrative is BS. And it also, he said, it's a witch hunt. Get back to Russia, says CEO Jeff Zucker. President Trump is right about witch hunt. By the way, John's looking for a job today. (laughs) Did you know that? No. Yeah. 
I didn't know he was fired. I figured he would be. Yeah. He's, he's, but he's they out. have, they, they did that? Yeah. He's looking for a job. Well, it, it's, it's not because of what he said. It's because he got caught. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Um, still, uh, he went on to say President Trump is right. It is a witch hunt. There is absolutely no proof. And he, he also went on to say that if there was proof from any of the, any of these investigations are before with all the leaks that are out there that the proof would have been leaked by now and uh he was again caught on on camera and it was released today now did cnn give this any coverage i don't know i haven't been watching cnn but uh no really i didn't watch cnn today to see but i doubt that they put this out there as a story and then you know what an interesting uh thing that transpired today because of this the press briefing there's been a little battle with the press and the White House right, because of the right. press briefings. Yep. And I know we haven't really covered this because it's really a non-story. Well, uh, it, a few it, times, it is kind of a story. I mean, it, well, once last week and once this week, the the uh, in the White House said that they're not going to have cameras in the press briefing. And then you had, you know, CNN's Jim Costa crying about it. And, oh, that they're hiding everything and there's no transparency and, you know, kind of losing their stuff over them not being cameras in there. But today there was a heated exchange. Well, humor me, Joe. I, and I, I, I got to interrupt you. Can you, uh, okay, now folks, okay. Can I, I'd like, for like a month, I'd, I'd like that. I wouldn't even last that. The job as, uh, White House press secretary. No. Can you, can you, can you see that? No. Can you see that taking? Not you. Can you? I couldn't even do it, and I'm much more mild-tempered than you. Okay. You know that Saturday Night Live skit with... Uh, <laughs> Melissa that? McCartney? Yeah. She's, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, no, man. I, I'm going to tell you. It'd be, I'd go full animal house, people, let me tell you. People would be afraid to come to your press briefing. So that's for sure. You, you're asking me what? <laughs> come here. Come here. Yeah, you. Yeah, you. Right here. Yeah. Come here. Well, today, anyway. uh, White House spokeswoman Sarah Huckabee Sanders battled the American press Tuesday and warned that America is in a dangerous place if it can't trust the media to report the truth. The uh, on the first, on, This was the first on-camera press briefing in a number of days and came after President Trump fired off a barrage of tweets that called the New York Times, Washington Post, and CNN all fake news. Now, obviously, we just went over how CNN retracted a story about the Trump-Russia because it was false, as well as uh, being caught by James O'Keefe, uh, one of the producers, saying that the it was a witch hunt and just being done for ratings, the Trump-Russia story. So, Huckabee Sanders referenced the video during the press briefing and said, whether it's accurate or not, I don't know, but I would encourage everyone in this room and, frankly, everyone across the country to take a look at it. She's referring to James O'Keefe's video. Mm-hmm. And it, she says, I think if it's accurate, it's a disgrace to all the media, to all of journalism. If the media can't be trusted to report the news, then that's a dangerous place for America. And she went on to talk about, you know, attacking CNN for the Trump-Russia hoax and a lack of, um, and, and instead saying that there was a lack of coverage on the VA and some of the, the issues and successes that were going on at the VA. President Trump signed a bill recently that uh, expanded uh, in a huge way money and, and services to the VA because we, under the Obama administration, and up until now, there there are still uh, reports coming out of the terrible nature of health care that veterans are receiving at VA hospitals. I think yesterday there was a report in one hospital alone, the previous year, 100 people died waiting for care. And we've seen the VA scandal during the Obama administration. Uh, they have not had their stuff together at all. Well, the, so, but the Affordable Care Act is, is well, of course, that's that wouldn't, the veterans is something different. But in the uh, In the press briefing, 
a journalist named uh, Brian Carmen. He is, uh, I'm not sure where he's from. He came out and said that Sanders' statements on the media is inflaming everyone right here and right now. And and it was a pretty heated exchange. Sanders went on to say, I disagree completely. If anything has been inflamed, it is the dishonesty that takes place, that has taken place by the news media. It's a pretty good heated exchange. So just, folks, go find the stories um, about Huckabee Sanders in the press briefing today. When you say Sanders, okay, Huckabee Sanders. Why? Oh, no, today was the first day back with the video. They, for the, the last few days, I think Thursday, Friday, last week, and then, uh, Monday, they did the press briefings without any cameras in there. Yes, just yeah. like that. For those there watching on YouTube, you can see what the press briefings look like all week long. We, we will now have our press briefing. Ow! Ow! What are you doing? <laughs> but no, the, uh, and we see, um, you know, and, and Again, Jim Acosta from CNN speaking at press briefings has been complaining that the White House has been taking too many questions from conservatives rather than left-leaning sites. These people have, I mean, they complain about any and everything. And even when they get caught lying and, and you know, caught making up stories, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's even headlines on Drudge talk about how they continue to double down and, you know, it didn't even, they didn't even skip a beat today with their coverage. So again, uh, CNN getting caught saying that the Russia story is basically a hoax and a witch hunt, and they're doing it for ratings by a producer of CNN, who now you say has apparently been fired. There's more tapes, according to James O'Keefe, so it should be very interesting to see what he has to say. Now, switching gears. I don't think it's what he's what, got to yeah, say. Yeah, what he's got to uncover. Yeah. Switching gears. You got a new article. Yeah, if you go to HomelandSecurityUS.com, that's HomelandSecurityUS.com. Tweet that out, if you don't mind, if you, if you, if, if you agree with it. What this is, and folks, look, Pizzagate is real. Pedogate is real. Child sex trafficking is real. Unlike CNN's okay. uh, and, news and, coverage. Right. Correct. And, 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 you know, there are people who, who say, well, Alex Jones walked back his coverage of Pizzagate. He did not do that. You've got to understand exactly what Alex Jones did. Um, he... He, he did not. He, he did not call Pizzagate false, or he didn't. He didn't go back on Pizzagate. He there are certain elements within Pizzagate that, and I and I attempt to address this within the article that 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 were totally out of control, and um, that that could have subjected him and others to civil liability. And, and here's the deal: it's it's nothing anymore to get sued in this in this business trust me when i tell you i I mean right now we me personally i'm fighting a multi-million dollar defamation suit all right that's me okay we're not even out of the starting gate and i'm i'm in the hole 40 grand that that's just honest that's in the public domain and just how's that for a showstopper all right and it's been going on for a year and a half and people wonder why, you know, I get irritated once in a while. But, but, but here's the thing, you, you know, you, once in a while. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but, but, but as that evolved, there's, there's little, little tells in that, in that evolution. And I can't get into it. I'm not allowed to talk about it. But, but Pizzagate, fake news. This is all part of a larger issue. You start talking about this honest, 
honestly, you start talking about fake news, you start talking about uh, um, uh, Pizzagate, you start talking about pedophilia, you start talking about this kind of stuff, you open yourself up to a whole world of hurt that you never thought existed. Okay, so anyway, we have to stick together. And the reason for that article now is tomorrow, Craig Sawyer and Russ Dizdar together. Yeah, that's going to be good. Okay, that that that's uh, they're going to be together talking about uh, child trafficking, child sex trafficking. And if you could see the pictures of the um, children in cages, a boy in a, in a, in a dog cage, I, I can't I can't get into it. I mean, this is a subject of investigations that we are working on right now. The, the horrific, the, the, the hideous images, the heartbreaking images, and to have some idiot, some moral degenerate, bankrupt, you know, redheaded attorney chick say, well, it's fake news. Well, you know what? You should, no. Uh, okay. Yeah. Trust me when I tell you. This is going on at the highest levels. It's an artifact of government and non-governmental operations. And it's, it's damn serious. And there are things that overlap this. The Seth Rich murder case overlaps this. The DNC things that are taking place overlap this. In my opinion. See, that's why I say, by the way, because I don't want to shell out another $40,000. In my opinion. Oh, and by the way, it's a Christian, too. A self-professed Christian. Uh, don't get me started. Eric, do you have music uh, with, for, with a violin? No. Whole tones. <laughs> See? It's the Christian, the self-proclaimed Christians. And, and then you got these biddies that write about this and say, you know what, well, um, boy, you're doing this. You, you know, you... You're 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 a fake Christian. Well, what, and this is you, you know people say to me, people ask me, why does Steve Quayle get so angry? Because he's part of it too. He's a co-defendant too. I know, Joe. I know. You're over there saying, shut up, shut up. All right, let's go. But see, here's the thing. We don't stop talking about it. We press on. We move forward. And we keep going. We keep going, and we keep going. So, having said that, tomorrow night, Craig Sawyer, Russ Dizdar, we're going to be getting deep into the spiritual aspect, which is oftentimes, oftentimes not discussed. And and, and anyway, so this is important, and um, all of these things overlap, and this is why we're not getting the whole story, and this is why the mainstream media is covering this up. I'm going to turn it back to you, Joe, because I know you've got some stuff to cover. As well. So, or homelandsecuritydus.com and go ahead and tweet that out. And, uh, tweet that story out. I think it, I think it's, uh, I started, I actually started writing it at four o'clock this morning and got interrupted so many times today. I finished it about six thirty this afternoon. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah. A few stories that are important to take note of. Um, this story was on the front of Drudge all day and is uh, pretty big about the European Union fining Google $2.7 billion under the, 
antitrust law. The European Union levied a $2.7 billion antitrust fine on Google over how it structures its search results, a move that is a classic example of the government overplaying its hand in the Internet. Now, what they're saying here is that uh, the EU Commission declared that Google has acted illegally by having its search results favor its shopping sites over other companies. And that's one small example of what Google does. Um, Say we wrote a story about Syria, where we had an exclusive uh, source on the ground, or two sources on the ground, uh, giving us information about it. And say it was about a bombing of of a city. And there were other stories, but, you know, had different details or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they all posted on that same day, Google, uh, we would be at the, you know, lower, if not on other pages, to, you know, more favored sites like uh, Bloomberg or um, any other, you know, very prominent AP, Reuters, news organizations. And that's just a small example on the news side, how they do things. But what this is claiming is that Google will put sites that, Basically, bring it more business or its own uh, sites that are under its under its name above the other even more well-deserving competing sites. So the EU's antitrust commissioner said Google's strategy for comparison shopping service wasn't just about attracting customers by making its product better than its rivals. Instead, Google abused its market dominance as a search engine by promoting its own comparison shopping service in its search results and demoting those of competitors and again this doesn't just go for shopping this goes for just about every uh, category on Google even so much just as in our experience we you couldn't even find our, our articles even original content <laughs> under the news section on Google <coughs> even it's, it's all rigged I mean, it, it, it's right, all it is rigged, rigged. Yeah. and uh, I've heard Michael Savage for a long time and a few other people uh, guests of our show and friends of the show say that Google has been breaking antitrust laws. Actually, Robert David Steele, that was something that he talked about uh, for the first few times he came on. And for, and for the record, I don't, I don't agree with his Maxine Waters deal, but go on. Right. But, um, you know, this is one way to and he uh, knows that. rein in the power of some of these uh, tech companies that have just gotten so big. Uh, there's an article on Drudge that say that this is, uh, it's like Standard Oil back in the day, the monopoly yeah. that... Yep these companies have over the internet so now apparently with this um, EU fine there's going to be other countries and regulatory bodies that are going to be looking at Google for antitrust violations well, this is the digital equivalent of of uh, going to, down to the, the, the corner store picking up a newspaper and reading only what the people who own the paper want you to read. It's, right, like, it's uh, the very Washington, simple. You know, that's like the Washington Post online having only, you know, Amazon ads. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because, I, you know, the owner of the Washington Post is the owner of Amazon. And, and think about, you know, think about the Whole Foods, Amazon yeah. merger. It, it, people think, oh, this is great. It, people, no. people order from Amazon. No. Oh, how great it is! You get your you get your stuff in a day. You know, they're already going to be replacing the Whole Foods workers with yes. robots. Yeah, yeah, it, yes, yes. But, but but see, this is why we and how you know people say, well, how can you fight against such a leviathan? Well, here's the deal: you just you go down, and any time I do this, if I have a choice between Home Depot, Lowe's, or my my you know local hardware store. I don't care if I'm paying 25 cents more. I'll, I'll go into the local hardware store. 
you know, or if I have to pay, you know, exorbitantly more, I'm not going to buy it. I'm just not going to buy the whatever I think I need. Uh, because I'm frugal, number one, and number two, I'm not going to buy something from a big box store. I just don't want to do it. I want to support my local vendors or local uh, business people. This is how we can fight. We can fight back. Um, now, are there exceptions? Yeah, there, there are going to be exceptions, but by and large, you don't like the TSA? Simple. Don't fly. Don't fly to, to, for your destination, stupid destination wedding. Stay home. Get married locally, you spoiled kid. All right, you, 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 don't fly to to some whatever you do for vacation. Drive. Stay the, bankrupt the airlines and tell them the reason is the TSA. We have that power, and I believe the more the larger we get, and this is why I'm big on visibility. <clears throat> the larger that we get, the more influence we can have, and, and the more stick togetherness we can get. And I, th- I think that, that, that this is the only way to beat this. Because we're not going to, individually, we're not going to win. Together, we can win. And that's the thing. Now, last week we asked uh, that question about what a civil war is going to look like. Uh, coming up, uh, Matt Brack and EnemiesForeignAndDomestic.com, he's going to tell us what a civil war would most likely look like. And I do believe we are already in a cultural civil cultural civil war. I think that we are in an ideological civil war. And I've... I've I, I, Trust me when I say this, it's only going to get worse. This is, unless, you know, the divine hand, the, the, the hand of God stops it. And, uh, folks, I want to make sure we mention this. Uh, don't forget about the, the, uh, Greenovative contest that's ongoing. Uh, Alan Riggs came on last week with John Robertson, our producer, to talk about a Greenovative contest where, uh, you write to Greenovative, write him a story, uh, a few paragraphs, I think, what did they say, 500 words, about when you, the, some of the most important times that you needed power, or the most important time you needed power and you didn't have it. Um, you write, write up the story, send it to Green Evative and Alan Riggs, and on July 4th, he's going to come back on and, and, and announce the winners of the, uh, the write-in campaign. And we'll talk more about this on the other side, but when we come back, Matt Bracken will be our guest. And uh, it's going to be a great interview. we got a great show lined up for you tonight, so don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. 
T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Wink Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniban Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniban Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. I just want to thank each and every one of you for uh, for supporting us, for your support of us. You know, these are these are very interesting and even perilous times. If you are in the broadcasting uh, venue, it's really it's not what you think. Let me just put it that way. And speaking of that, just very quickly, in case you haven't in case you haven't done so, I would urge everyone to go to American Thinker. And, uh, read Peter Barry Chowka, C-H-O-W-K-A. Read his works. And I've been posting them all on Hagman Report. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Hagman Report. I should have said that. I don't know. But, but the, the, the origin is American Thinker. But, um, Peter is just, uh, there's a lot of information there that's relevant to today. Joe, I'm going to turn it to you. Yeah, it is. And he's been, he's been turning out a lot of articles, um, didn't have one today, but uh, just about every other day for the last oh, few weeks we've had them. So coming. There. Oh, I know it is. Uh, real quick before we get to our guest, Matt Bracken, I want to bring you a quick word from Green Innovative. 
Uh, July 4th, Independence Day, is right around the corner, and a great way to celebrate in the USA is with family, a cookout, maybe a 4th of July parade. Uh, celebrate being American. Well, Green Innovative has a challenge, a, a contest that they've set up that on July 4th we will have the winners announced here. There's a write-in campaign for Green Innovative's Energy Independence Day. Um, Alan Riggs from Green Innovative asked that uh, you write us about your emergency moment. When ha- having reliable, portable power just might have made your emergency moment safer or more comfortable. Um, send those uh, to greenovative.com and on July 3rd, at the end of July 3rd, they will announce the winners. So uh, the prizes that are going to be awarded, Alan Riggs came on and, and talked about that, and we can go over those later. But the uh, Well worth the 500 words. Absolutely. But the uh, Green Innovative Energy Independence Day is to remind you that all GMAG charger products are made in the USA, and they provide independence from household electricity, the sun, wind, and hand crank devices. Uh, folks, uh, the folks at Green Innovative have been very generous, and they've extended a uh, discount of 15% to all Hagman listeners, uh, and this is a store-wide discount. You just need to use the code Hagman. Again, a 15% store-wide discount that you that, that runs from now till July 5th. Uh, you just use the code Hagman. Greenovative.com is the website. Alan Riggs is the guy that you want to talk to there. And again, send your send your stories about uh, your emergency moment when you needed power and didn't have it to Alan Riggs at Greenovative.com. And on July 3rd, we will announce the winners. You know, Matt Bracken is. Uh is a guy that we think a lot of. He was he served in the uh, U.S. military. Uh, he was commissioned in the Navy through the uh, ROTC program, UVA, and then graduated uh, uh, BUDS in SEAL training, Class 105. He served on uh, East Coast UDT and SEAL teams, taking a special naval warfare detachment to Beirut in '83. This this man is the real deal. Um, he's a self-described freedomista who loves ocean sailing. Just for the freedom it permits, but but he's done something that most people have not, and that's uh, he's written a trilogy, enemiesforeignanddomestic.com. People had asked, and people are wondering what uh, a civil war might look like, and are we close to a civil war, and are we in a civil war? Matt Bracken is here to talk about just that issue. Matt, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Yeah, I, th- I think we're definitely in a civil war. We're just not in the uh, shooting phase yet. What's going on? I mean, what's the, you were definitely, the ideological divide in this country is so severe. I, I, I just got a, a, just this past weekend, my, I, well, a family member went to a neighbor who they had not seen in, since last summer. And here she is taking a bowl of strawberries to this, uh, I don't want to get too specific to this neighbor. Neighbor looked out the door and said, get the hell off my property. Why? Trump supporter versus a Sanders supporter or a Hillary supporter, and and, and that that's happening. I've been hearing more and more of this happening. I mean, so so the ideological divides there, Matt. I don't want to take your time, but uh, but what's going on, man? How deep how deep is this? Yeah, it's 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 very vicious and it's ready to break into the open. I think, uh, you know, from several uh, directions or several vectors that are all aiming in towards the middle. Um, you know, sort of bringing the pot to boil, maybe get to reach some sort of critical mass in the near future. I think that the uh, 
the, the forces of progressivism. You know, some people call them, you know, cultural Marxists and neo Jacobites. Certainly, um, in Washington, they're what Trump has correctly described as the swamp. Um, and they've, they've really thought that they had the election sewed up. So they were willing to break a lot of laws during the Obama years that they would have only broken if they considered that there was really no chance of them ever being investigated. Uh, you know, starting with Fast and Furious, where hundreds were murdered on purpose and it didn't get investigated. That gave them, that emboldened them to weaponize the IRS, then weaponize the intelligence agencies and even corrupt the FBI. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if 90% of FBI agents are sickened by what's going on. At the top of the J. Edgar Hoover building, it's being run by some very corrupt and evil people. Of uh, Comey, I would certainly include in that. McCabe, who's the acting, is another one of these, of these stooges. He's a, he's a Democrat, uh, uh, stooge, basically. His wife was given three quarters of a million dollars by the governor of Virginia via the DNC to run for office. I don't know where all the money went. But, um, he was, McCabe is the guy that's been put, along with Comey, has been the guy that's been pushing the, the so-called dirty dossier, you know, the Moscow, uh, prostitute story. Uh, this was, this was strictly a way to, to, uh, trap Trump as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but it's in, you know, while I'm thinking of it, it's interesting. People need to know that Trump would have naturally thought that it was, it was completely normal to meet the FBI director one on one. Which happened later, you know, the, uh, the obstruction meeting, so called. Because on January 6th, during the, uh, you know, the pre-inaugural period, Comey requested a private meeting with Trump. This is January 6th. Comey meets privately with Trump one-on-one to show him the dirty dossier. Now the only reason to show Trump this bogus dossier was so that then the news of the meeting could be leaked to the New York Times, which I'm assuming was also Comey. The fact of it being, there being a meeting with Trump to discuss the dirty dossier is what gave the news story validity to cover it. That, well, if the president has met the FBI director, there must be something to it. Then it was released in BuzzFeed or one of these other um, internet sites in whole. So this was this was a setup from the from the get go. These were machinations by the deep state, very corrupt players like McCabe uh, and McCabe and uh, uh, Comey, Rosenstein, who's also a, one of these stooges. Where did Rosenstein come from? He's a Democrat. You know, always be suspicious when the Democrats easily vote in somebody to be the uh, the uh, deputy director of of justice especially when Sessions is going to recuse himself. So the Democrats get a stooge, Rosenstein, they get a, a Democrat stooge in to be acting DOJ. He writes the fire Comey letter. Trump takes the advice and fires Comey. And that's then used to spring the trap and bring in Mueller, Comey's best friend for the last 15 years, a best friend and ally. These guys know where the bodies are buried. Um, all four of these players... Rosenstein, McCabe, Mueller, and Comey, they all go way back. They're all what I call swamp lawyers. They all know that they, where their own, where their other bodies are buried. You know, they know about the corrupt deals that they've been engaged in. They know. So they kind of have a mutual assured destruction packed against one another. 
that they have to help each other out. They'll hang together or they'll hang separately. It's that kind of a situation. So this is being played now at the very highest levels. This is true Game of Thrones. There's the old saying, when, when you go to strike the king, when you go to kill the king, you better kill the king. And now the, it, it appears that this uh, the, the Russia collusion story has petered out. It's sort of reached its high water mark, its waterloo with the CNN, uh, you know, the, the three crack reporters being fired, one of whom came from the New York Times and was one of Comey's leak targets. They've been fired. So now it, it, it might be, uh, you know, a reversal of fortune, sort of, uh, you know, like Napoleon or Hitler getting thrown out of Russia when it looks like they, they are going to conquer Russia. They, they get to the high tide mark. And then it's strictly a defeat all the way back. But this makes them very dangerous. You know, the, the reason that they're willing to take such risks to, to um, engage in such a high level, uh, uh, really a coup attempt, you know, a bureaucratic coup, a trap, Rosenstein, McCabe, Comey, Mueller. The reason that they're willing to do this is that they all know that if they eventually get in front of a legitimate uh, prosecutor, they can go to jail. For example, Comey, the most flagrant example, Comey goes all the way back to Whitewater. Comey was one of the prosecutors. I assume that he was leaking the prosecutorial side of Whitewater over to the Clinton side. He he, uh, reappears to um, help uh, cover up the Mark Rich pardon, where um, the Clintons, you know, took bribes to get off Mark Rich at the end of the Clinton term. Um, In between stints as a prosecutor, Comey gets these jobs where you work for a year for a Lockheed or an HSBC bank and you make millions in one year. I mean, he must be one hell of an attorney. He can come into an aircraft firm or a bank. Both In both cases, they happen to have huge deals in front of the Clintons and make millions. Well, this is how they do payola in Washington. This is how they do bribery in Washington. It's not a briefcase full of $100 bills. It's wink, wink, nod, nod. You take care of us for the, you know, while we're in office. You make sure our friends get off scot free. You can make a name for yourself taking down people like, uh, uh, what's your name? The uh, kitchen lady, Martha Stewart, you know, on a pr- procedural charge where they're just like with Trump's obstruction. There was no crime, but they get her on some procedural charge. You know, she had two stories about a crime that didn't occur. Something like that. So she goes to jail. That yeah, it was ridiculous. Them. I mean, it, it was it was the, just like Helmsley too. Uh, uh, they hung her out to dry as well. But go ahead. Yeah, and and they so Comey gets to make get his scalps. He makes his name, which allows other Democrats to promote him up the chain until he's finally FBI director. Even though he was never in federal law enforcement, so he's clearly a, he's a he's a Clinton stooge. He's a he's a Clinton cover-up artist and facilitator in between his stints helping the Clintons all along the way for the last 22 years he takes these one-year gigs where he makes five or six million bucks I mean what an attorney he is I mean Lockheed just pulls him out of left field and says here's millions of dollars to be our chief counsel I wonder if he ever went to work I wonder if he golfed for that year this is how bribery works in Washington and this is why these guys are desperate now, possibly there's nothing chargeable in the Lockheed or the or the uh, uh, HSBC payola jobs. 
maybe there's nothing chargeable there. But if they get, if they put the screws that the type of attorneys that are, you know, being lined up against Trump, if those same kind of bulldog attorneys go after um, Loretta Lynch, Eric Holder, uh, James Comey, McCabe with his wife's, you know, the payola to the wife, uh, you know, money's fungible. You go on vacations to Hawaii. Who knows if it's your wife's money or your money, right? He didn't disclose this, this, this money either. So these guys are dirty, and they're now desperate. So they're cornered. And, you know, like a, a cornered uh, badger, you know, they're, they're going to take some wild chances. And if it looks like the, the tide is going against them, so, running against them so strongly that they might end up on the other side of the docket being charged and facing prison time, I think that they are going to um, uh, do whatever they can to cause the pot to boil over because in the, um, you know, in the middle of a, of a actual hot shooting civil war, Who's going to remember, you know, who, what kind of, uh, of coup traps were being set? What kind of bureaucratic, you know, uh, sedition and treason was being plotted within the FBI? Who's going to remember that when there's a shooting civil war going on? So these high level players, it will behoove them to, to, uh, not let the, this game run out to where they could find themselves, you know, facing prison time. It would behoove them rather to, uh, see lots more Hodgkinson's let loose, you know, which will result in a kinetic back and forth. And the next thing you know, we're going to have a blackout on the Internet, a lot of websites shut down because they're, you know, they'll say that they're being used to uh, target individuals or to provide targeting information. Uh, yeah, it, I think this can spin out of control very easily. I'm surprised that, that it hasn't yet However, I can, I can see where the groundwork is being laid, especially for the websites programs. Um, and my concern is who makes that, who makes that decision? Not that the decision should be made at any rate, but, but I can see where this, this would come into play. Well, I just, I just was, happened to be, I happened to catch a little bit of Dennis Prager today. Apparently a news story down in Mexico is that, is that we allowed them access to a lot of very high-tech software and intelligence gathering tools that can basically turn anybody's smartphone into a monitor, you know, turn the camera on, turn the phone on, uh, you know, basically, you know, your calendar, your contact list, it's completely being downloaded, you know, at secret police headquarters 24-7. This was given to Mexico under the understanding that it would only be used against, you know, of course, the narco-traffickers and terrorists and people like that. But it was actually used against political enemies. Why do I mention Mexico? In in any kind of a, of a civil war scenario in this country, all of these tools, which are now out there, you know, people have heard of things like Stingray that allows them to, you know, follow your your uh, cell phone from tower to tower, even set up fake towers, um, and and suck your cell phone information right in through it. Um, these tools are not just going to be used against the bad guys. We've already seen the FBI weaponized. So they call this reverse targeting when they, they say, oh, well, poor James, Mr. Flynn, General Flynn, he was just a, he was just caught up in our surveillance of the, uh, of the Russian ambassador. Well, that's obvious BS because Flynn coming in as, as a, a national security advisor had every reason to speak on the telephone to an ambassador 
who's going to be obviously assuming that if he's talking to the next national security advisor, both men, you know, the former uh, director of defense intelligence agency and a Russian ambassador, both men are going to assume that their phone is monitored. So it's not like they're actually going to discuss some kind of collusion plot on a phone that they both assume is monitored. What Flynn didn't realize was that this information would be weaponized, not that there was anything wrong inside of the phone, but the example of the phone call is then leaked to the New York Times with it, with an evil spin put on it. This, in the same way that Comey taking the dirty dossier to Trump requesting a one-on-one meeting on January 6th, the fact of the meeting is then leaked to the New York Times in an evil weaponized way. So if and when a shooting civil war breaks out, you can expect these tools are going to be used against every type of American, just like they're being used in Mexico, just like they're being used against General Flynn and many other uh, uh, American, you know, patriotic Americans. So we're well past the point where we can trust our intelligence agencies, even to the extent today when I hear that, you know, it, it all depends on who's briefing the president. But when I hear we think Syria is getting ready for another gas attack, I'm rolling my eyes and saying, Oh, brother, here comes another pretext to get us into a wider war. Because these desperate swamp creatures, they're very afraid of this, in a legal sense, coming around to put them in the docket. They'd much rather see a wide war in the Middle East or even a civil war in America than themselves facing charges in the next couple months. You're exactly right. And, Mr. Bracken, did you see the report? I believe it was... uh Seymour Hirsch just yesterday who uh, talked and another journalist inside Syria said that the the initial attack, a uh, gas attack which Trump reacted by launching those Tomahawk missiles uh, was never carried out by the Syrian government which is something that we already suspected and that they did not have chemical weapons and that Trump acted against the military uh, the, vice of the advice of the military when carrying out that strike. Did you happen to see that? Yeah I did and I don't you know, I don't pretend to have any kind of information any more than anybody else that's reading the overt, you know, uh, false narrative media we're fed, whether it's Russia, Russia Times or CNN or Fox News. We're all just being spoon-fed false narratives. And maybe there's truth, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. But if, the tr- if there's truth in the stories that we're being told, it's strictly incidental to the narrative that we're being Spoon fed. So, are the, can I come out here tonight and say absolutely the Syrians never did a gas attack? No, I can't. But logically, it would make no sense for them to. If you're winning a war with conventional weapons, why would you do something to basically, uh, cause a war crime and get the, the entire world enraged against you? You know, it, it makes no sense logically to do that when you're winning a war conventionally. So I, I tend to disbelieve the Syrian gas attacks, and I put them down to uh, there are branches within our intelligence services and even at the top of the Pentagon that are, are not working in the best interest of the United States. They are working in the best interest, I think, of this conglomerate known as the swamp, you know, the Washington swamp. And, who and it's, but, Repub- exactly. it's Republicans like McCain, too. I mean, I put McCain fully as a swamp creature. 
He was the one that he sent somebody to London to pick up the dirty dossier and hand it to Comey and McCabe. <laughs> nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that, John. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and who better to tell us about about this very issue than Matt Bracken? Uh, he's the uh, author of Enemies Foreign and Domestic. Go to enemiesforeignanddomestic dot com. There you can see the trilogy of books, and of course, uh, he's been in the trenches as a uh, uh, seal, uh, Navy SEAL, and he's he's a real deal in this case, and his analysis is, we turn to people like him for analysis of current events, because he's been there, he's done that, he understands the process. Uh, Matt, we've got about uh, about three minutes before the top of the hour break, network break. All right, why aren't we seeing, or are we seeing, beginning to see now, a pushback? Uh, we're hearing about Lynch, Comey, or Lynch and uh, the, the uh, uh, Lynch being a focus of a probe, as well as mm-hmm. uh, uh, Lynch, Comey, Comey, yeah. and Podesta, even. and Sanders, and oh yeah, Sanders and his wife. Yeah. So, so, so is is this about to hit the hit the fan or what? Right, which will make them much more desperate. You know, the the uh, Kumbaya movement lasted less than 24 hours after after uh, Congressman Scalise was shot and nearly killed. Um, you know, the man will probably be a wheelchair case, assuming he survives to come back to work. Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, it was through and through both pelvises, just wrecked his lower, lower body. But, um, what we're going to see now is greater desperation. Not only more things like, you know, uh, Trump in the Central Park being, you know, the, 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 uh, Julius Caesar murder, the, all of these, uh, celebrities saying, please, somebody assassinate Trump. What this is called is battle space preparation. This is, you know, putting heat under the pot, hoping that it boils over. You know, this is Elizabeth Warren, uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, all saying the new health care plan, it will murder millions of Americans, are going to be murdered by Republicans. This is not just an accidental byproduct. These are people whose whole life has been spent pushing, you know, cultural Marx, Marxism, neo-Jacobism, and they're seeing that the tide might be going the other way. You know, it might be the end of the end of their tide, their Stalingrad, and it's now going to be all the way back down. So this makes them extremely dangerous, and I think that they're willing to, to uh, uh, you know, knock over the card table, uh, the lights go out, the shots ring out, and at the end of the day, uh, we'll be into a new world where nobody's thinking about, you know, is Comey corrupt? Is Mueller and Comey, are they doing a corrupt deal? These guys are very desperate, very dangerous at this point. Yeah. I'd put nothing past them. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I agree. It's, it's really, uh, amazing to see the scenario we find ourselves in now. I'm only 34 years old. I haven't lived through many presidential administrations, at least not enough to be paying attention, uh, through many of them. But to see the way that the, the the loser of of the last presidential election, Hillary Clinton, the former president Obama, and many of his uh, appointees uh, like Holder, uh, Loretta Lynch, Valerie Jarrett, all joining together for this resistance, I would uh, guess to say that there has never been a history, uh, never been a president, former president in history, who's been so active with the media and the agenda driving against the current president. And well, their entire, their entire, their entire theory was 
don't worry, we can get away with anything because Hillary is going to be elected and will still control the Department of Justice and the IRS. We'll control the media, we'll control the narrative. And the fact that Trump came in is a, is a, is like not only a, a monkey wrench in the gears, you know, it's, uh, it's throwing hand grenades into the gears. And all of their, their illegality, their unmasking, for example, these are felonies. You know, that's why the Susan Rice, Susan Rice thinks she's gonna, you know, get all of her records out to the Obama library and hide them for five years. She doesn't realize records aren't just kept in one place anymore. And exactly. there are going to be people that are going to be call, called as witnesses that aren't going to be willing to go to jail for her. Professor so, Obama in the library with a candlestick, by the way. Uh, our guest, Matthew Bracken, uh, Enemies Foreign and Domestic, enemiesforeigndomestic.com, great series of books. Look, folks, support guys like Matt Bracken. His books are, are fantastic as well. Enemies, domestic enemies, foreign enemies. It's all there. You you want some good reading? There it is. We're so glad to have him for the next segment, next 30 minutes. Um, by the way, I'll be on uh, I'll be on InfoWars tomorrow at 1 o'clock um, talking about a few of these issues as well. On the other side, I want to ask Mr. Bracken about uh, Mueller. Who can fire Mueller? Can Donald Trump fire him, or must it be via the Department of Justice? Stay right where you're at. We're right back. HagmanReport.com, that's our website. Uh, HomelandSecurityUS.com, also for some collective investigative material. Matt Bracken is our guest. EnemiesForeignAndDomestic.com, that's our guest. Uh, Navy SEAL, uh, a man who's been to Beirut, uh, really to the gates of hell, and uh, back and has a great analytical mind. He's, he's an author of Enemies Foreign and Domestic. As a matter of fact, he's got... And I'm going to let him tell you about this, because this is really nice, okay? I love this when guests do this for our audience. This is fabulous. Matt Bracken, you've done something for our audience with respect to your work. Um, rather than me screw it up, tell us about it. Yeah, I, I have my novels are um, also on Kindle. And uh, because I knew I was coming on the show today, I put Enemies Foreign and Domestic, my first novel, and also the Bracken Anthology, which is a collection of my more recent short stories and essays, uh, in the Kindle free column for today and tomorrow. So you can just go to Amazon and click download for $0.00, uh, for Enemies Foreign and Domestic and the Bracken Anthology. And the reason I think it's right in track with what we're talking about, Enemies Foreign and Domestic is a false flag novel. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a novel about creating a false narrative, which is where we find ourselves today. You know, in the, in the first page, somebody shooting into a football stadium causes a mass panic stampede and the, uh, Congress and, and the president in the next week outlaw semi-automatic rifles, you know, in the backwash of a couple thousand people dying, mostly going over the top of the stadium or getting, you know, trapped in tunnels during a panic. But of course it's blamed on a semi-automatic rifle. And Congress passes a law banning semi-autos. Uh, 
The Bracken Anthology has a lot of short stuff, not exactly short, a few thousand word essays. One is called What I Saw at the Coup, which I think tracks pretty closely to how I see a civil war playing out in this country, using a lot of electronic means to isolate people and track people, for example. And there's also in there something called When the Music Stops, How America's Cities Will Explode in Violence, which talks about any kind of either a hack or a natural accident that screws up our electronic benefit transfer system will have our cities going into full-blown riots, food riots, almost immediately. And we might not even be able to recover from something like that. You know, if the stores are all looted in the first week, how do you restart supply when people are starving and people are shooting and killing each other, you know, across our urban landscapes? So anyway, those two are free for today and tomorrow. And I encourage people to pick them up and read them. And I want to tell you, folks, okay, I love to read. I love books. Matt Bracken, his product, his books, his writings, his articles, his work product is the best of the best. So it's right on the money. And I have a new novel also coming out. You know, it's in production now. So it will be a few weeks to get it into the Amazon system. But it's what I would describe as a counter-jihad novel. So this is my Islam novel called The Red Cliffs of Zerhoun. But anyway. I can't wait for that. Yeah. Anyway, this novel will be out in a couple weeks, and it's my take on Islam from the perspective of 10 or 15 years down the road. You know, sort of a dystopian fiction, you know, civil war in Europe, things like that. All right. Great. Fantastic. Now, I've got to ask you about, before the break, I asked you, and then Joe's got another question, but I asked you, can Donald Trump fire Mueller, or must he go through the Department of Justice in order to get rid of him? He can fire, he can not only fire Mueller tomorrow, he can fire McCabe and Rosenstein, too. The problem is that it would create a political firestorm, because remember, impeachment is not a legal proceeding. It's a political proceeding. It's not a question of charges being brought against the president. It's a question of the Congress getting 51% of them to vote to impeach him, and then it goes to the Senate where there's a trial. So if he fired Mueller and then say in the same, you know, were shut it down, then all of the Democrats in Congress, plus probably enough Republican rhino GOP elites, you know, the McCains and the Lindsey Grahams, would take it as their chance, you know, the revenge of the swamp. So we would probably get enough, you know, 100% of Democrats and 10% of Republicans to vote for impeachment. So, yes, he can do it, but there would be a political cost which would probably lead to his impeachment. That doesn't mean he's kicked out of office. Bill Clinton was impeached, but he wasn't convicted in the Senate. I don't think it even went to the Senate. Correct. But, you know, the better strategy at this point for Trump using very effective surrogates, and I would count, you know, like Sean Hannity at the top of the list, Rush Limbaugh, using, and of course his own Twitter account, to discredit Comey and Mueller. 
you know, to tie them together as, as corrupt swamp lawyers, you know, that have, that are trying to protect each other's past corruption by taking out the swamp drainer. So it's the swamp lawyers versus the swamp drainer. If he fires Mueller, I think he gets impeached. If he discredits Mueller, Mueller might be petrified that there's going to be a parallel investigation of his own corruption. You know, tracking, uh, uh, Mueller and Comey's actions back over many years. So, so, um, it's a political game much more than a legal game at this point. But it's definitely ga- Game of Thrones territory. And I absolutely do believe at this point, you know, I have no particular knowledge about Seth Rich, but I think a lot of people believe he was killed. And this has a chilling effect. So I think we are definitely in the era of wet ops. You know, we're in the era of, of, uh, people being murdered over things when millions of dollars are at stake in in the case of the Clinton Foundation hundreds of millions even billions of dollars for a few hundred thousand dollars you can hire ex special forces guys to kill anybody you want i mean that's the that's the sad truth today you know for a, a, a relative pocket change you can hire some you know knuckle dragging fool who can shoot a rifle and take people out. So, and you can even have it so that it'll look like a car accident. You know, you went off of a cliff and on a uh, mountain road, or you had a heart attack. You know, you go for a walk around the neighborhood, and somebody walks up and, you know, asks you for directions, and you get a puff of something in the face that gives you an instant heart attack that is all organic. We've had this for decades. The CIA has, so I assume everybody does. It's a completely organic compound. And it'll break down within the body within, you know, 24, 48 hours. So unless a pathologist already knows to be looking for certain, you know, uh, chemical traces that are going to break down in the body very quickly, it's almost a perfect crime. So uh, I think we're in the in the zone now of people not only being afraid of being ruined, like losing their pension, you know, getting fired from the FBI, this, this woman at the heart of the McCabe situation, the McCabe and Flynn, Flynn situation, I think her name is Ritz, something like that. It's in Circa News today. She's at the, uh, she made the allegations of sexual harassment against McCabe. And, uh. Oh yeah, uh, was Sarah Carter wrote about that or, um. Yeah. yeah okay. Right. And Flynn came, Flynn came to her defense and I guess Flynn made an enemy out of swamp lawyer McCabe. Yep. Uh, so, and, and McCabe is somebody who would be able to unmask and then leak. So this is the kind of sleazy skullduggery that's afoot. So not only are they willing to ruin people, like this this uh, woman, I think she's like in her you know late 40s, had to she lost her house out of this deal, you know. So this is like can't get work within uh, uh, you know, anything requiring a security clearance. She's ruined. So they not only will ruin people, I believe that they would pay thugs to walk up behind somebody in Washington and shoot them in the back with a revolver. You know, this is we're playing for high stakes. When people at the at the Clinton level are potentially facing prison time, which is not going to be fun if you're already pushing 70 years old, you're facing prison time, loss of tens of millions of dollars. Well, through cutouts of cutouts of cutouts, you know, the, the word goes downhill. If somebody took out Seth Rich, it would help us a lot and would make a good example. Uh, I think that's where we are now. So... We're on a slippery slope to a dirty, a kind of a dirty war where assassinations are definitely part of the menu, uh, for sure. 
Uh, not to mention, not to mention all the lunatics like Hodgkinson right. being flushed out to go and you know shoot up Republican events. And, and folks, we're going to be talking about Hodgkinson as well tomorrow. Uh, Craig Sawyer, Russ Dizdar, uh, in, in in that aspect. Now, um, Matt Bracken is our guest again. Navy SEAL author, tremendous author. EnemiesForeignAndDomestic.com. Plus, he's he's given to, to the to the audience for the next. What twenty four thirty six hours? He's got well, a very midnight tomorrow night. Okay, all right. So you got a very special offer there. Um, take advantage of it. Go to, go to enemiesforeigndomestic dot com, and uh, be, before he leaves, he's going to uh, give him a chance to tell about it one more time. Joe, you've got a question. Yeah, Mister Bracken, uh, I'm kind of switching gears here, and we don't have to get into this if this isn't something you want to get into. Uh, the USS Fitzgerald. There have been a number of, of different reports about what actually happened on that ship. Um, we I, I reviewed the the course that both the Fitzgerald was taking and the cargo ship that hit it was taking, and there's some interesting um, questions that that come up. Do you have any thoughts on what happened? Uh, and I'll just throw what I think what, what possibly could have happened out there. It looks as though from the cargo ships, um, the way that it passed the Fitzgerald. Uh, real close, and then did a U-turn directly uh, back toward it, hit it, and then went back out. Uh, people are speculating that there's some kind of electronic interference due to the redundant number of systems on the destroyer, and none of them registered an alarm. What do you think happened with the Fitzgerald? Yeah, I think, well, I think that I have a very high confidence that we will find out exactly what happened because the U.S. Coast Guard, Japanese Coast Guard, and the U.S. Navy, and the insurance companies are all investigating this. So they're cross-checking each other very closely. Um, at first, I thought it could have been a kamikaze thing because of the timeline that had the collision happening at like 2.20 in the morning was actually erroneous. The the um, That's when the distress call went out, but the hit came around 1.30 in the morning, and I've studied this pretty closely. Um, United States Institute Proceedings, uh, very prestigious website and magazine. They have they they have some very good threads on this with people bringing in comments that are very knowledgeable. Um, I, even though I was a Navy SEAL, I had to kind of play junior uh, surface warfare officer a few times. Uh, crossing the ocean, my platoon would be on another ship in an amphibious squadron. I would ride on the flagship with the Commodore, who's a Navy captain of a little fleet of amphibious ships. So I'd be on the flag bridge and I was, you know, involved with, uh, you know, the navigation of, of, uh, these squadrons, um, through the Straits of Gibraltar, uh, English Channel, places like that. And so I, I, even though I wasn't a surface warfare officer, I was on the bridge at night, standing watch. I kind of had a picture of what's going on and it, 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 of course, it's inexcusable, and you know people are going to be losing their careers, and rightfully so. But it looks like the container ship was on autopilot, which is not surprising. The, the days of the days of sailors standing behind a wheel—that's like 50 years ago. The way that you steer today is you walk over to the autopilot and you say go, and you push in plus 10 to the right, and that, then the computer just makes it happen. Nobody's actually standing behind a wheel on a container ship. On the naval ship, they are because they have so much manpower. You know, the, the naval ship is one third the size of the container ship, but it has ten times the crew, like two hundred compared to twenty. 
So on the bridge of the container ship, you might have one guy on duty who, who may or may not be, uh, you know, reading a book or looking at a laptop over on the side and looking at the radar every five or ten minutes. On the Navy ship, you have uh, a bridge watch, officer of the deck. You have lookouts on the bow, both bridge wings outside with binoculars, with a headset to talk to the bridge. On the back of the ship, the front of the ship, both sides, combat information center. And they're constantly plotting every ship out there, making what's called a CPA, closest point of approach, which is a mathematical solution showing if we're on this course, where will their hypothetical course cross our path? And the the captain will have night orders that will say, if there's any CPA, closest point of approach, closer than 4,000 yards or 10,000 yards, what be that the case as it is, for different areas, different times, the captain should be awakened, you know, to come to the bridge, which will only take him, you know, 20 seconds to get there. And he probably, in most ships, the captain even has a radar repeater even in his own bed. So he can just, you know, flip it on and look over and see what they're seeing on the bridge in terms of the radar. But apparently what happened is the container ship was was coming not quite at a 90-degree angle, but from abaft the beam, which means that it's a, if if you're more than 22 degrees behind a 90-degree angle, which is basically where the red and green lights go, okay, as far as the red and green lights are like this, if you're further behind than that, and then it's an overtaking situation, and this vessel, the destroyer, is the stand-on vessel, okay? So, if you're coming from a 90 or from the front, then this ship has to give way if it's a starboard situation. My hands are probably wrong from the camera, but but if it's from behind, it's an overtaking situation. The destroyer would just maintain its course and speed. So when they're 10 minutes out, they're plotting a CPA, and it looks like, okay, he's going to pass us a 1,000 yards in front. Now, to the bridge wing lookouts and the stern lookout, it it actually became a CBDR, constant bearing, decreasing range. That's the nightmare. That's where you're going to actually hit out here. Boom. So if the initial plot was he's going to pass a 1,000 yards in front, and everybody's saying, okay, that's cool, but then the container ship, not based on what it saw of the destroyer or didn't see of the destroyer, but based on its computer-generated path around Japan, going around shoal areas and, and small islands, its own computer is going like your GPS in your car, waypoint to waypoint. So the, the container on autopilot makes a 15-degree turn to port. It's no longer going to pass a 1,000 yards out in front. It's now CBDR, constant bearing decreasing range. But it doesn't look very different to the watchstanders. The guy out on the on the starboard bridge wing, the guy on the back, he's been told, okay, don't worry, he's going to pass a thousand yards in front. We work the CPA. It's not. It, we're okay. But if the container ship, the computer of the container ship, based only on its course around the Japanese islands, instructs it to turn 15 degrees to the left, now you've got a collision course. What should be happening, of course, is that these guys are on the radio. They're on the VHF, ship to ship, just like you have on a 
commercial or pleasure boat. Channel 16, everybody, Navy, everybody. Hello, Captain, are you turning? What's, you know, but nobody was communicating. It appears that nobody was communicating. So until maybe the last minute, everybody thought he was going to clear. But he had turned 15 degrees to port, and it was a collision. It's, it's unbelievable to think that a collision can happen without the collision alarm going off, which is like a, you know, even in daytime, it's much louder in the middle of the night. It's like a uh, uh, that you can't, like a three-mile island meltdown alarm, so that everybody on the ship would instantly be awake, even if you only had 10 seconds. You might have time to get out of your rack and up a ladder and escape that berthing compartment. But apparently, the skipper of the ship and the men down in the berthing compartment, they were just completely uh, gobsmacked. They were just completely taken by surprise. So this will all come out in the... Uh, this will all come out in the, in the uh, inquests, but you know, another factor is that the Navy doesn't ping AIS because it's a warship. It's blacked out. It, uh, it, it doesn't show any light at all. It's made of radar-absorbing materials. It's meant to be stealthy. And it's depending on its, it's depending on its own situational awareness to avoid fishing boats, uh, guy in a canoe, anything from the smallest to the biggest. The other guys on the container ship, they're basically an unguided missile. They're running on autopilot. So it's like a perfect storm. You have this super stealthy blacked out ship that thinks it's the stand on vessel in an overtaking situation. And you have an unguided missile that makes a 15 degree course turn by the computer with nobody really watching. So when it, when the hit happened, after the hit happened, the container ship went back, slowed, and then went back on course and got up to speed, which meant it was under computer control the whole time. It just felt an obstacle, which threw it off course. Then the computer said, oh, we've lost speed and we've gone off course. Pick up speed again and get back on course. So they didn't even react to it as a collision initially. Of course, on the Navy ship, all hell broke loose, but they didn't even have radios that were working for almost an hour. So it's like a perfect storm of an unguided missile, the cargo container, under computer and autopilot control, versus a stealthy ship which had the wrong situational, uh, it had it, it had an incorrect uh, closest point of approach after that last turn by the container ship. You know, you're not going to hear, folks, you're not going to hear this in-depth explanation on the mainstream media even when you think you are, you're not. That that, that was a fantastic explanation. So, b- bottom line, go ahead. And just one more question, Matt. Do we know why the container ship uh, in, at first passed the Fitzgerald and then did a 180-degree U-turn coming right back to it? Has that been explained? No, this is later. The big U-turn is, is quite a bit later. The the, the initial, there's a there's turns before the collision, that 15-degree to, to, to uh, the, the turn 15-degree to, port turn which made it from a passing situation which the destroyer thought we're in the clear it's going to pass in front of us that subtle 15 degree turn a few minutes out put it into a collision but it wouldn't look super obvious to the guys with binoculars and so forth now when because you're you're still just seeing they're still seeing the red light the port light the port side light of the container ship that's what they've been seeing for half an hour it just is now getting closer when you've been told it's going to pass a thousand yards in front. So 
it must have been a total panic situation in that last minute or so. But once you're into the last minute, it's a really dangerous time because if if you don't have a clear understanding, there have been warships that have gotten, like, run over by their own aircraft carrier. There have been uh, cruise liners that hit each other. If you get into a confused situation where you both are assuming everybody's going to do what they should at the last minute, it's sort of like if a punch is coming at your face or a hurricane is coming at you, do I jump in my car and go north or south? Well, maybe the hurricane turns the last minute and nails me, whether I went north or south. Or if the punch is coming and I duck to the left, maybe I ducked into the punch. So it's really dangerous if you're waiting till the last minute or 30 seconds to speed up or make a big turn. And I think that the destroyer thought it was a stand-on vessel that, that didn't understand that the cargo container had changed course subtly to make it a collision. So, so b- b- bottom line, you would describe this to, uh, you would not describe terrorism to this situation or oh, no, uh, no. hacking or anything like that. Double human, double human error. Gotcha. But, but the bulk of the error has to go to the Navy ship because it's assumed, I'm an ocean sailor, mm-hmm. I assume that every cargo ship out there is flying blind. You know, I assume that it might make a turn at me without even knowing I'm on the ocean. Or caring, really. So you assume that they're unguided missiles. But the the guy on the bridge wing with binoculars, he's been looking at that red light for for the last half hour, and he's talking to the bridge. Bridge, he looks like he's getting mighty close, and the bridge might have been saying, no, he's going to pass a 1,000 yards in front. That's based on the CPA plotting that was done 10 minutes earlier before the the ship turned 10 degrees to the left. Got it. All right, and thank you for that that wonderful explanation. Folks, share this segment with everyone you know. Matt Bracken, knowledgeable about these events or about these situations. Of course, his background as a Navy SEAL. Uh, well, you, you understand his background. Uh, we only have one. And, and I got to play on ships. I got to play around on the bridges of ships because the Commodore of the uh, of these little amphibious squadrons, they would have the senior SEAL on the flagship with them commonly crossing the oceans and they wouldn't just let me hang out in my bunk you know they had me uh playing junior ship driver up on the bridge with the rest of them <laughs> oh okay well i'll tell you what we've learned a lot from you today and i want to thank you for your gracious gift of time uh i'll give you the uh, another opportunity here we got about a minute left uh tell people about your 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 offer of your books your articles your product please uh and, and then thank you by the way for doing that for our audience as well until tomorrow night or through to, go ahead and tell us okay well and my first book enemies foreign and domestic which is a false flag false narrative novel uh is on is free on kindle today and tomorrow till tomorrow midnight also the bracken anthology which uh, gets into some Civil War scenarios, some uh, civil breakdown scenarios. Uh, that's free. That's called the Bracken Anthology. Those are both free on Kindle. All of my books are available, um, paper and Kindle. Uh, my new novel will be out in a couple weeks. It's already finished. It's just a matter of being in production. And the, the Enemies Trilogy is also an audio book on uh, Amazon ACX. And as well, um, uh, if you really track me down, you can get signed copies through my post office, which you can find on my website. We're going to track you down, Matt. By the way, I'm looking at this. Is that an artillery shell? You got? Any? I'd like to see the Over gun right that, that goes to. Oh, 
Yeah, I've got some. <laughs> yeah. I have some. Is that your, late and we're going out? Is that the outro? Is, yeah. Is the gun in your garage or what? I, I'm I'm kidding. All right. Hey, thanks, Matt. Thanks for being a good sport. Oh. Appreciate you, brother. You bet. <laughs> you have a good Bye-bye. night. Bye-bye. Good night. All right, folks. Uh, that was Matt Bracken. Uh, fantastic interview. Um, we got still half the show left. Standale's coming up in uh, not the next segment, but at 9 o'clock. So make sure you don't go anywhere. We'll be right back, folks. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report. Stay tuned. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Eric's. It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Caring Close in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to each major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We're offering 25% of our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HADMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues. And so can you. Check out our American Heritage Journey Kit at www.trainsourcewoods.com. Your life may depend on it. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. That means you can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. 
Oh, now, now you mute yourself. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. No, this is not, this is not the five minus three, okay? No, we're not doing that. Um, I, I apologize for my lack of professional demeanor tonight. Yeah, just uh, really, seriously. Hey, no, you gotta have fun. It, 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 honestly, look, these are some dark times. And these are perilous times. But, you go out, you watch a couple of dogs, uh, watching a lady, the studio dog, uh, play with, um, uh, Theo and Jackie and Eric's dog and, uh, just enjoying the heck out of that. Uh, and of course, Eric the tech created this wonderful graphic with King, the iconic dog. And I want to thank Nancy Stone. Nancy, I think about you a lot. Every, um, who painted the King's picture, uh, oil paint. I mean, what a beautiful picture and sent it to us. Thank you so much, you know, for your gift. And that really means a lot to us. But it means a lot that you're listening and you're sharing this program with others. We have a very special guest, Sergeant Tim Weldon, um, outlawpatriotnews.wordpress.com is on with us. So I'm going to kick it to you because uh, this is a guy that, that his writing skills are just amazing. His knowledge is amazing. Just let me kick it over to you. Go ahead. Yeah, Sergeant Tim is our guest. He was on with us, I believe it was last week. Uh, for a little bit, or if not, just a, just a few weeks ago, and he's got. Um, uh, I'm trying to pull up the Hagman report here, the piece on Hagman report. Um, thank you, Eric, from the desk of Sergeant Tim. What would war with Russia look like? And I read this piece. It's a it's very good. Uh, Sergeant Tim, welcome back to the show. Hey Joe. Hey Doug. Thank you guys so much for having me back on. Hey, well, it's great to have you, brother. Yeah, thanks for coming back on, and, and thanks for, uh, um, you know, yeah. writing for and posting it on, on Hagman Report. Um, I know that it's gotten quite a few hits. He's a monitor the, writer, man. We monitor the traffic, and it is a, a very relevant and timely topic because one thing when we see this um, uh, meddling of, you know, the, this warmongering between the U.S. and Russia We've seen so much recently, and it's been going on for years now. You know, the close calls between, uh, in the airspace between Russia and the U.S. Most recently, I believe it was the, uh, reaction to the U.S. shooting down a Syrian jet where a Russian plane flew within five feet of, uh, a U.S. military aircraft. And we keep having these close calls, and we also have the mainstream media demonizing Russia, trying to, uh, you know, bring down Trump, but using Russia as the boogeyman. And it seems that, um, you know, after the Cold War and the long standoff between Russia and even after Obama, that with Trump we were going to see some stabilization between the U.S. and Russia relations. But things seem to have been deteriorating uh, over time for a number of reasons. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you want to start with with this story, Tim? Well, uh, first of all, I just want to say how great it was to uh, listen in on uh, Matt Bracken. Uh, it's absolutely great that you guys give a platform uh, for my veteran brothers and sisters to come out, speak their mind, uh, and and give people information from that perspective that so many of us get from all around the world. And so uh, I really thank you guys for for opening up your platform to that. Um, Joe, you were you were talking about how the media is dehumanizing um, the Russians. 
and I would say that um, we see the same thing happening, uh, you know, uh, talking about civil war here in America. We see the same thing happening on both sides of this whole ideological issue. Um, we we see the the mainstream media dehumanizing uh, the Republican Party and, and the Trump supporters. We see uh, some people in the alternative media uh, dehumanizing the Democrats. And and one of the things that I would really try to remind people is while there certainly are Luciferian elements and and some really evil people at the top of some of these political parties. Your neighbor down the road likely isn't involved in pedo gate. Your, your neighbor down the road is not doing spirit cooking in his backyard. Uh, hopefully the only cooking that he's doing is, is some grilling out back, especially with the 4th of July coming up. Um, but what we're seeing is, is this split along ideological lines that is the result of a division that is, it's, it's really been a slow boil over time. And I don't know that we could have really expected anything else out of a uh, two-party system where you, you basically split the people in half anyhow. Um, you know, we have a system that's, that's basic, basically the, the cola wars, Coke versus Pepsi. And I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an RC guy in this and, and give me an RC cola and a, and a moon pie and leave me alone. Um but what I've seen uh, over, you know, some of the alternative media has has played a role in this, uh, as well as uh, a lot of the social media posts. And, and I would encourage everyone to to check out and see how many of the people on social media are actually people and how many are bots. I, I believe that whenever the presidential presidential election was going on. Uh, they came out with a story that said that, um, you know, both Obama and Hillary had a massive army of bots that bumped up their, their numbers on, for instance, Twitter and, and Facebook and the like. Um, but we see a, a narrative being pushed across social media of people calling for civil war. And I will, I will tell the Hagman audience, I'll tell both of you guys, uh, these people that are calling for civil war have absolutely no idea what they are, what they're calling for. Um, I've been to uh, the Balkans area. I've been to the line of conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan, um, where you have the breakaway province Nagorno-Karabakh that used to be part of Azerbaijan it has mostly an Armenian population, but. Uh, it, it broke away from Azerbaijan and resulted in a war between the two countries and then a civil war uh, between Nagorno-Karabakh and, and Azerbaijan. And when you talk about civil war, what you're talking about is families versus families. You know, I think most people have have heard the stories from our own American civil war. Uh, of brother against brother, father against son, and and so it's families versus families, it's friends versus friends. You know, take take a look around your neighborhood this evening, and and look at the houses. You know, if you live in an apartment building, just just look around the hall, uh, look at your neighbors, 
and these are the people that you are that in a civil war situation you very well could be fighting. Uh, you know, the sounds of, of children playing in neighborhoods would be replaced with cries of the of the dead and the dying. We'd have people starving to death in the streets. And even more worrisome in this uh, in this ideological back and forth is that most times in civil wars we have the most radical elements that that rise to the top because the emotions of the people are at such a, a high level that and, and people are so angry uh, that, that they're willing to to listen to the most radical elements and then we get things like uh, like Lenin in in the Soviet Union you have uh, Slobodan Milosevic in Serbia and I, I would just uh, also say this you know I was I was talking about coming on here tonight and and my daughter. At the dinner table tonight, uh, she said, you know, do, do people not realize that those that do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it? And that's exactly what we're seeing play out before us, uh, here in this country right now. Isn't it, Doug and Joe? How yeah. close are we? <sighs> to, 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 to a shooting war. Looking at the anger in this country, I think that we're very close. I think that if you, if you look at, you know, these rallies that are going on around the country and I understand that people are proud, uh, you know, that their candidate won, uh, people are upset that theirs didn't. Um, but I really don't understand the need for these Trump rallies when he's already won. Um, I think the best thing that you can do if you're a Trump supporter is, is go back to work. Uh, you know, voice your support to your congressman to get them to pass his agenda. But I think that these people that are going to these rallies on both sides are really just looking for a fight. And that is what is going to lead to this situation. So, sorry, uh-huh. Tim, uh, let me take, let me take, uh, uh, issue with you here, okay? Now, okay. I, I get what you're saying, okay? Uh, when, when I say issue, I'm not, uh, okay. We've got, we, this, this country is filled with LGBT, uh, month. When the hell are we gonna have heterosexual marriage or, you know, uh, hetero, or, uh, heterosexual man month? It's black, uh, month. It's, you know, it's, uh, Cinco de Mayo. It's, it's all of this diversity crap. And it's nothing, um, and what we're not seeing is the core of America, American ideology. The Judeo-Christian ethic, the Judeo-Christian spirit, being uh, used as the rallying cry. You've got, you've, you, and, and now, now I, I agree with you. However, spiking the football, in eh, bad form. Eh, spiking the football in the in the form of rallies. You know that you've already got a candidate that that, that right. assumed the presidency. In, in that spirit, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, that now it's the reaction on the other side by the other side of course that that we have to worry about in, in my estimation now again that's my only that's my only complaint if I had a complaint uh, or an issue uh, and, well, and I'm not saying that you're, you're you're not wrong I'm just you know saying well wait a minute you know there's okay however I think whether I'm sorry go ahead no it just however and then you go ahead. Uh, and, and finish because I, well, yeah, I, I, 
I think that I absolutely think that uh, we have to uh, bring this country back to where it was, you know, the country that that I grew up in, that you grew up in, Doug, that you grew up in, Joe. Um, however, I think that these rallies serve an excellent place for a false flag to be conducted. And what I mean by that is you have all these Trump supporters out there. We've already had the press pushing this narrative that Trump supporters want violence, that Trump supporters are violent. And so all you need is one of these Antifa lunatics to come out in a Make America Great Again hat and open fire in the middle of the crowd and you have your optical, you know, as, as John says, your optical dissonance, your, your optics for that very narrative to be proven true. Um, well, we okay, but we had we had a guy almost wearing a Bernie Sanders shirt, and you know, in a Che Guevara cap with a name tag saying, "I'm I'm with him." Uh, open fire on a group of uh, our lawmakers, and 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 I agree with you there. I I think I know where you're going with this. Is that um, we're we're already at that point where we're seeing um, the the for lack of a better term, because I don't like saying the whole left-right thing because I think no one is 100% left and no one is 100% right. Um, but you already have it firing up. But what I would uh, I would say also is we are the people, whether you consider yourself Christian conservative, whether you consider yourself Republican, whether you consider yourself something that, that I've been... Uh, thinking a lot about lately, which is Christian libertarian. Uh, we are the people who are supposed to be on the moral high ground. And we cannot say that we are on that moral high ground if we're looking for the fight. Um, and I'm, and I'm not saying that everyone that is showing up to these rallies is that way. And I definitely think this country is something to, fi- to fight for. Uh, I took an oath to to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Um, but when we talk about uh, these rallies on both sides, you know, the the rallies, the marches, the protests, what we're seeing is is the build up to something that we should try to tone down now and realize that. Uh, while the other side may not be um, may not be as educated or as as awake to what is going on in the world around them, it it could perhaps be a teachable moment. Uh, I'm with you there, and, and I look. The last thing I want to do is draw first blood, and I certainly would never do that. And I don't advocate violence, but you've got there's virtual silence from the conservative element of our society against people like that Lapone monster. And, and, right. and I'm going to tell you something, all right? You get me on the red carpet with that Patty Lapone or whatever her name is, and a bar of soap. And that's all I need to say. <laughs> all right. But, but you, you, got, you, got, you got that uh, numbskull uh, uh, I used to like him, that actor. What's his name? Uh, De Niro? Yeah, De Niro. Uh, Bobby De Niro. Okay, saying he punched uh, Trump in the mouth. Uh, you got Madonna saying, uh, you know, blowing up the White House. Shouldn't we answer this? 
do we just do we just let this go? The, the police, they're not doing anything. The Secret Service, obviously, they respond to real legitimate threats, which these are not. This is hyperbole protected by the First Amendment. I get that, at least most of it. Although Penn, that that uh, or not Penn, uh, what's his name, uh, that uh, moron uh, in London, Depp. All right. Oh yeah. Uh, he came pretty doggone close to. And in fact, uh, I would say. He needs a visit from the Secret Service, but all that said, where's the voice on the on the conservative side saying "shut up"? And, and well, should think, there be? Think, and should there be one? Go ahead, sir. I, I do think that there should be one, and I think that's exactly um, what we should be doing is is pointing out the fact that these people are using uh, whether it's it's stars using their popularity. Or it's the the media, you know. Uh, Project Veritas came out with those videos about uh, CNN staging this entire Russian collusion narrative, which we all already knew, but that is is the smoking gun on it. Uh, but but whether it's these stars, whether it's the mainstream media, um, they are the ones who are driving this uh, this narrative. You look at at. Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Eric Holder, all saying that they're part of the quote-unquote resistance. Um, you know, words have power and words have meaning. And so whenever you use that kind of, um, for, for lack of a better term, a, a verbal archetype of resistance, um, then what you're doing is you're sending a subliminal message to the people that they're a that there is something to resist against and b that that you are willing to go to war to resist whatever you know tyranny they perceive that to be um and whenever we have the the public schools who are teaching this this kind of new uh ideology of of um, you know, you pointed out LGBT, uh, the fact that every, every person, you know, is, um, is a special snowflake and, and that, um, kind of driving this racial narrative, um, then this, this call for resistance has a breeding ground because everyone perceives themselves as slighted in some way. And it drives that home. But I think that what we have to do is not allow that breeding ground to turn us into the same thing. We have to be the voice of reason in an environment that is full of nonsense. Amen. That's exactly right. I, for the sake of our children, I would agree with you. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, Doug. I... I I'll get in there and I'll scrap with the best of them, but I I don't want to see this country become like some of the places that I've seen with the bombed out buildings, the the children with with empty eyes and no future. I I I don't know about you guys. I kind of enjoy the first world status. And okay. uh, I, and I and I, I I agree with you, and I appreciate your your honesty and, and integrity behind this. I, I do agree with you on this. Uh, more than I would disagree. What, what so, so what would happen, given your observations, which are vast in different countries, what would happen if we had another Hodgkinson situation 
only worse. Not from the right, but from the left. From the progressive Marxist idiot, progressive mind-numb people. Or, or if, God forbid, the president was shot. Uh, what would happen in this country? Would we roll I definitely over? think that I, I, I definitely think that if if President Trump was assassinated or even shot, not necessarily killed, um, I definitely think that it would change this nation in a moment. Unlike any, uh, unlike even nine eleven, I think that you would see, um, you know, groups out out in the streets, um, ready ready for warfare. Uh, I pray that that doesn't happen. And and I say to to people all the time, um, because I, uh, as much as I don't want it to happen, I almost feel like it's a foredrawn conclusion because I don't know that we wow. can turn this around. I, I pray that we can, but I don't know that we can turn this ra- around completely, and and that really scares me. Scares me. Yeah, um, as well as it scares me too. And, and, and anyone who is not, anyone who doesn't fear that, to me again, you, you're an idiot for, because you don't know what you're asking for, and, and um, the environment would be totally different. It really would. And you're well, right. You, yeah, you've and you've seen, you've been to these war-torn countries. Well, and that's why I, I tell people, you know, whenever whenever I, we talk about prepping, whether it's it's you know a friend on the street or it's it's in my writing. I tell people that one of the most important elements of prepping is spiritual preparation. Um, and a lot of people don't, don't really understand what that means. But I think that you have to prepare yourself spiritually for A, what you'll witness, and B, what you will have to do during that time to protect yourself and protect your family. Absolutely right, uh, Sergeant Tim. We only have just a, a few minutes left. This was a really, uh, really quick interview. I, 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 you know, I do love you. I really do. Just so you know, I, I wasn't giving you a hard time. I love you too, Doug. I'm on, I'm on your side. <laughs> oh no, I, I love discussion, Doug. I really do. All right. Just real quick, uh, Tim, in, in the closing minutes, um, Syria. Uh, we see this. The the uh, the U.S. that the recent shooting downs of the drones and the fighter jet as we talked about and you came on and talked about uh, that last uh, fighter jet shoot down the day that it happened uh, has the ISIS that's in Syria right now there are you know, Russians fighting ISIS there is the U.S. allegedly fighting ISIS you even have Iran in there um, do do you think do you see a, a time where ISIS will be stomped out in Syria? Um, I think as long as the deep state is around, it won't be. Um, and I think as long as the Saudis are in power, it won't be. Um, you know, we've seen the, the Middle East kind of split between a Iranian block, you know, Iranian Russian block and a, uh, Saudi block. And, uh, what we're, what we're seeing is a build up to to a wider Middle East war, and I think that uh, with as much rhetoric as going on, uh, you know, being thrown about by the Saudis as far as um, the uh, for instance Qatar uh, supporting, you know, they're they're wanting to uh, to kind of um, 
and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of stumbling over my words, but um, they're wanting to kind of push Qatar to the side outside of, of their block because uh, Qatar continues to have relations with Iran, uh, and they're also calling on Qatar to shut down Al Jazeera. Um, I think that the Saudis are, are probably funneling just as much, if not more, money and resources to ISIS as what we've seen Turkey do in the past. And um, I think that as long as we are propping up that side, which, you know, I understand the reason why we do that is to is because of the agreement about the petrodollar, and without the petrodollar, the U.S. dollar would, would suffer uh, tremendously. But uh, as long as they're there doing that, I don't think that we'll see an end of ISIS. And if if ISIS does start to lose power, I fully expect that we'll see the rise of al-Qaeda again. Yeah, because my next question was going to be, doesn't ISIS's presence in Syria actually help the U.S.'s military and other strategic objectives when it comes to Iran and Russia? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, uh, the destabilization of Syria, the fact that Syria has a uh, mutual defense treaty with Iran, uh, the fact that Iran and Syria are both close with Russia, uh, destabilization of, of Syria keeps uh, them from from gaining very much power. And then number two, it get, it continues to give us a reason to have forces deployed into the Middle East. Uh, you know, as, as kind of an excuse for, for having them there, whether that be, you know, to safeguard those, those trade routes, um, for the oil supply coming here, or whether it be for other possibly more nefarious reasons. Excellent, excellent insight. Uh, folks, our guest, Sergeant Tim Weldon, outlawpatriotnews.wordpress.com is the website. He also posts uh, for hagmanreport.com. Yep. And, again, you can check out his latest article there, which is titled, From the Desk of Sergeant Tim, What Would War with Russia Look Like? And it's a great read. Great read, everybody indeed. check it out and, and read it. Sergeant Tim, look forward to talking with you again in the near future. Thanks for coming on with us Thank tonight. Thank you, sir. Thanks for humoring me as well, tolerating me. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on. God bless you. God bless your families, and God bless all the listeners. God bless you, too. Folks, we'll be right back after this message. Don't go anywhere. Final hour on this edition of the Hagman Report. Each and every Tuesday in hour number three, Standeo joins us. His website is standeo.com. Go there and check out the show images page that he puts together uh, to talk about a number of different interesting things of, and research uh, projects that he's working on when he comes on this show. And he is with us now. Stan, welcome back to the show. Got a few sure. things to talk about today. I see that. Yes, we do. Where would yeah. you like to start? Well, you pick. Let's spin the wheel of, of topics. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, probably foremost on people's minds is uh, uh, weather or earthquake changes that affect us. 
go to image 37, the increased number of earthquakes in the lower 48 in Alaska. If you click on that, I've compared the number of significant earthquakes, like 2.5 or greater, between the last seven days and the seven days prior to that in this month. You'll see the little blue arrows I've drawn on that. Are you on that page yet? Yeah, we're here, Stan. Okay. If you'll look at this last week, you'll see an increase in earthquakes around that Yellowstone and down into California area, and they, the earthquakes get stronger down toward California and Nevada, and there's been a swarm there as well. If you look up at Alaska going up there, there are more earthquakes there uh, for the same period of time week before last. I draw the arrows down in the in the uh, second uh, graph, which is uh, you know the week before. And there's also some over in oh let's see where is that uh, just north of India there you can see it. There are more there and larger in that area. Those four areas are things that I've been watching for a while and certainly we're seeing increases in earthquakes there. Why? Well, go over to article or to slide 38 and uh, there you will see that the, the, the uh, well, let's see, 38. 38 has about mm, one, two, has four links in it down at the bottom. There's an article and there's seismometers. Um, if you Look, let's see, we just click on the first one. And that article goes to IFL Science site where they plot those earthquakes, that swarm, which is now approaching 900 in the last uh, oh, week or so. I'm just trying to see here when they, when they calculated that. Um, anyway, they, they show that we're seeing a, a swarm there. But if you click uh, on Article 2 there, it's a, that's a Newsweek article underneath that slide. Yellowstone supervolcano earthquake storm reaches 878 events in two weeks. So you go to that, and you'll see a discussion of that, and you'll see that they say, well, don't worry about it, you know. Um, they, it, we don't think there's going to be an earthquake happening. We could be wrong. I'm sorry, a volcano happening. We could be wrong, but, you know, this is outside the normal influence. Well, last week I, I showed you guys where the the historic Caldera outlines were, and they don't show it in this uh, image they put on the Newsweek article, but where the little cluster of red earthquakes are down about oh, a third of the way down the page, you see um, uh, a box around it, and that box touches the edge of the old and mid-range, time-wise, um, Caldera outline. Now, as I said before, even though there is a the Sour Creek Dome is rising over toward the north of the uh, lake in Yellowstone, which is kind of the middle of the park. Over to the left where we are with, where this cluster of 878 to 900 earthquakes are does fit right on the edge of the old caldera. They don't think, they said, that it means that there's any eruption going on there. So I thought, right, let's, let's, let's have a look at the seismometers of Yellowstone. So if you go there, you'll see seismometer one, seismometer two in slide 38 down the bottom part of the text. And you click on those, there's two of them. There's, there's uh, uh, Maple Creek and uh, Hebgen uh, uh, seismometer, which is number two. Um, and you'll see that over the last two weeks, as these swarms of earthquakes at Yellowstone started, 
look at the spacing in that uh, image I've snapped off of the uh, the thumbnails of the earthquakes there. You'll see regular spacing in a lot of these red earthquakes. You know, indicating to me that there could be magma moving up events and catching and then starting to move again and causing a little bit of a like a rumble, which they record as an earthquake. Now, you know, I'm I'm sure that there can be articles uh, arguments made for you know pluses and minuses of that. But if you look at the Maple Creek. Drudge had last week an article talking about uh, the figures that you just quoted, which are, are I think, double from the last week. That uh, there were four up to four hundred earthquakes uh, at Yellowstone in the previous week, and then now you said it's up to eight hundred and some. Uh, eight seventy-eight. Yeah, eight seventy-eight. There are um, you know uh, physicists and scientists and the like making predictions that yes, it's um, we could see this increased activity due to. Uh, a number of reasons. One could be the potential for a volcanic eruption. You, you have, you know, the the plate shifting underneath, uh, which is they say also could just be part of its natural, you know, shifting. But um, we are due, according to the, uh, if I remember from your showing images page last week, you had uh, on one of the the maps you had uh, the different dates when eruptions occurred, and how they were spaced out. You know, from maybe. 800 to 600,000 years something along those lines and uh, from what I could tell by the calculations it looks like you know we could have one tomorrow versus in the next you know 10,000 years 
but yeah. are we are we overdue? Well, statistically, yes, but uh, statistics can can really be misleading. Um, you know, there was a a more recent eruption there, let's say, at about uh, 174,000 years ago at West Thumb Caldera. Uh, but if you look at the Sour Creek Resurgent Dome on that uh, image I had last week, um, the dark purple uh, or magenta area is along a path of where that hot spot uh, uh, that the Earth's mantle is passing over. It's in line with the other major eruptions. However, uh, the West Thumb Caldera was on the uh, the edge of the third caldera, which is 640,000 years old. Okay, so, you know, like maybe 500,000 years before that, that was the third caldera, but this 174,000 years ago was not in the main purple area. It was on the edge of it. And now, right across from that, uh, in the Gibbon Falls area where, you know, where we're seeing this swarm, there's a swarm, and does that indicate that this is going to be an anomalous side eruption, you know, um, before Sour Creek blows. There are no other signs that we know of as far as the ground swelling being picked up by satellite, you know, imaging the area, which they do a lot. Um, so, you know, I, I, mm, I'm betwixt and between on this because... Uh, you know, it does look like a pattern that could repeat across the caldera of the, the Gibbon Falls. If that is the case, it may be a reasonable eruption, but it may not be the big one that Sour Creek could um, provide because of the double magma chamber, a huge amount of magma underneath that. Now, I don't know exactly how they've determined, you know, the the magma underneath Sour Creek, you know, and got the second one or whatever, what method they used. I'm sure we could look it up, but... Have they done something like this? Are they doing something like this over toward Gibbon Falls on the north uh, northwest corner of Yellowstone Park? Um, and if they do find that, um, you know, it's uh, coming or it might be, will they take a risk and tell the public and perhaps cause financial changes all across the country that would hurt the economy, especially if it didn't happen? Um, it's uh, been a very iffy game. Uh, anybody at USGS will tell you that yeah, predicting a volcano's eruption time is uh, problematic, but for a lot of reasons. You know, you could get misleading data, you can interpret it incorrectly, um, or you don't have enough data. So, anyway, let's let's just say that um, it's worth watching. I, I'm not going to ignore this, especially with the uptick of earthquakes in other places uh, in the United States. Yeah, definitely something always to keep an eye on. Stan, I got a. Uh somewhere else I want to go on your show images page that I find um, <laughs> it's a hot hot button topic right now. Uh, number 45 on the, the show images page. Google's anti-Muslim search results. Yeah. Dallas Imam says Google search suggestions spread hate speech. Now I read this article and the article itself is just a, a whole a whole cloth lie. Um do you want to get into this, Stan? When, when you say it's a lie, are you staying from the imam's point of view or what? Well, yeah, and, and just from the way the article, uh, I, I made, I didn't get to the very end of it, but, yeah, the way that they uh, are writing, saying that the when you do a search for the word Islam, you get anti-Muslim websites, and they call it, you know, hate propaganda. and But they go on to talk about, um, the, the article says that this... Uh, 
some of the most searched words referred, referring to Islam are words like Sharia, Jihad, or Taqiyah. And we have experts on here where they say Taqiyah is the practice where it allows uh, Muslims to lie in order to, uh, you know, deceive people uh, to, to cover their true intentions. Forward. But here yeah. in this article, they say that Taqiyah is, um, is that Muslims are allowed to say they're not Muslims when they are about to be persecuted, and that's what it means. And then there's other things in the article that are just, you know, complete lies, and it goes on to say how the the Southern Poverty Law Center, um, you know, is petitioning Google to remove these these fake news, Islamophobic websites uh, that misrepresent Islam and blah, 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 blah. I know. And if you put Islam into Google... You don't get immediately all these things you're talking about that are, you know, considered to be hate speech and that kind of junk. Uh, it's just another way to, to create chaos and to limit, you know, what we can do uh, as far as searching and stuff like that. I just find it repulsive and it, it angers me that they're getting away with this kind of nonsense and putting pressure on, you know, uh, people or companies like Google. Even though Google's not perfect, I'm just saying that that hurts us directly by limiting our search saying if they give in to this kind of nonsense yeah and we were just uh, we were just talking um, about this the antitrust lawsuits uh, that are being brought against Google and the fine of the 2.7 billion dollars by the EU for the manipulation of search results where in fact Google will put their own companies and their their uh, and companies with monetary interest in Google at the top of their search functions uh, and I forget what the example was that they used, I think it was some shopping thing, but yeah, it, it's, the, so, the it's so widespread, shop, yeah. it, it's so widespread and, and with the news specifically you know they will uh, on Google they will, for the longest time Hagman Report and stuff we posted wouldn't even show up under the news function at all, finally it's it's starting to come back a little bit but um, yeah it's it's um, it's crazy this uh, pandering to Islam, the defending of Islam, even to the point the Southern Poverty Law Center, you know, is saying that the anti-Islamic um, websites, or I would call them websites that point out the truth about Islam, are you know being labeled as uh, as being lies, propaganda, and and the Southern Poverty Law Center's Alex Amend wrote that facts often get blurred by negative propaganda when it comes to searches for Islam and and. Uh, Muslim-related topics Gee, on Google, and that there is a, a, a white supremacist white supremacist dominance on the anti-Muslim fake news websites that are on the uh, top of the Google searches when searching for Islam. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, it is crazy. Um, the uh, the fine that uh, Google's had imposed on them, they haven't paid it yet, and haven't agreed to pay it. If they don't pay it by the date stated in the uh, the judgment, they'll be fined twelve million dollars a day for every day they don't, um, you know, pay the fine. Now that's only three percent of Google's gross income. That two point seven billion dollar figure, uh, they're massive and they're international. And certainly, um, uh, the control of that company is by a parent company, not you know Google is part of a big network. And I see that they can control and do control uh, the search engine. Um, no matter how you try to get your website or your blog talks, you know, rated up higher, it's all going to be what they allow. Um, and it, it is censorship in a private corporation or, you know, publicly owned, but still it's not a government thing. Uh, 
yeah, no, you're you're very right, Stan. Um, I, I got another one on your show image page. I'm really curious about. Don't know when you want to jump into this. Help Stan's team to finish their energy project for you before the power grid fails. You want to get into that now? Yeah, we can do that. Um, underneath there and around there are a number of, I think there's about five um, uh, slides from, you know, slide 46, well, 46 up to 51, including 50, talking uh, about articles Holly's got up on the news page today about various uh, cyber attacks to power grids at Israel and Ukraine, and they, they find that Russia's behind it. And there's an article there in slide 48 saying, well, look, is Russia hacking Ukraine's power grid as a test run for a U.S. attack? Interesting article, an interesting concept. But all through Europe, these cyber attacks are occurring. Um, maybe a warning to us about the Russian involvement. Um, I don't know whether the Chinese would be doing that, but uh, it, when I when Holly showed me those articles today, I realized that we better put up uh, a special pointer to our alternate energy project. And if you click on that, it'll take you over to a GoFundMe page we set up. Uh, I have a, a small team of people spread over the United States and Canada and, and Australia. And we have for years been working on a couple of um, ways to get electricity uh, you know, off the grid using low-tech equipment so that uh, it's not so susceptible to EMP attack from other countries exploding you know, EMP bombs over us or from a solar EMP or two. Uh, and the most mm, efficient one we've found so far is uh, a derivative of the T. Henry Murray Aerial Project. And it took a while. We had to figure out over the years where his energy was coming from. That's why the patent office wouldn't grant Murray a, a, a patent for his application. He even uh, took a working model to Washington to show him. And they said, if you don't know where the energy is coming from, we're not going to give a patent. Well, then I applied uh, in, oh gosh, 2005 or six to uh, get the, um, uh, the uh, to get a patent for basically the same kind of thing. And uh, you'll see on this uh, GoFundMe page, I put a link to my patent that was, it was 2008, there it is, uh, that the patent office did not put in one of the boxes like they're supposed to until you're finished with it. They said we're rejected because we it can't work, and so you'd have to refile. They're supposed to take those applications and hide them from the public because otherwise someone would steal your invention by changing various things. And if you go into that link, you'll see you can you can look at my uh, a PDF with the pictures and the description of the patent application. Um, now, that is basically what we are uh, working toward now. I have another way using a uh, special kind of funnel for uh, wind that increases the efficiency of it with no moving parts and converts the wind into high-voltage energy into capacitors, which we then convert to household electricity. Uh, but that, um, we thought... It would be harder because we'd have to make things or give, you know, designs to people to make, which they might not be able to do. So we're looking at this wire or aerial version that Maury had, which is the one I filed the patent on, uh, application on. And the that one is working very well. Our guys in Canada have found a, a really exceptional example of we might be able to put it into the ground, into the earth itself, instead of on an antenna, you know, 30, 40 feet up or even 10 feet up. Um, we're close enough now that we're getting electricity, but we want to have it converted to household frequency and uh, voltage levels for uh, Europe and for, you know, Western-based uh, uh, grid systems. Uh, 
where we are it's in Colorado it's definitely a problem I it's just what three or four weeks ago we had one hit out in the backyard again um, fortunately the antenna was down but uh, if not it would have kind of fried the whole system up there so we're still working on some of the practical uh, you know protection for it but because things are moving so rapidly we're moving into a threat of you know uh, by even early first quarter next year uh, a global economic collapse we're looking at warfare in the Middle East over so many crazy things happening between Saudi Arabia Iran the United States Iraq Israel that um, we may not have an internet functioning to where we can get this out to people after maybe you know September October this year so we thought right to do this we're going to have to push get more equipment do more travel and you know blow up a few things <laughs> I guess but uh, that's why we said look you guys if you want us to, to get it out as quick as we can we do need your help and so we put up that that link uh, to uh, fund us and as you can see there's uh, been 17 people already in the last five days that have uh, put up about $1,100 out of that uh, $9,500 goal so anyway that's what that's for there it's to try to help us to address a solution to these power grid failures or hack attacks which are covered in those five news articles that I've got links to around it you want to okay. buy a system guys you want to do one yourself We'll do both. Uh, our, our objective, we're, we're all Christians involved in this, our objective is to get that technology out there for people. It's not to make a, a new company or, you know, a profitable venture. Uh, that, that GoFundMe is a, a donation site. It's not trying to get a, you know investors or anything like that. Our objective is to break through the, you know, the commercial value type barrier that prevents people from releasing stuff like this. And I think, let's see, toward the third week of July, last the third to fourth week, um, we should have some photos of the lab and um, uh, some of the uh, ideas behind, you know, how we found the frequency range that we need and uh, how to deal with it. But it's, it's quite interesting. We've been watching the monitoring frequencies uh, of the atmosphere and the ionosphere to put every frequency in there. We have a, a wide-spectrum analyzer, which is... You know, I'm connected to that to that device from here in Colorado to Kansas. We've got a guy in Australia connect, and so we can all look real time into the lab over there, watching for the the signals that we are aiming our our antenna at. Okay, Stan, we got about um about a minute fifteen seconds before the break. Um, all right, how about something lighthearted? Sure, look at five thirty-five for that. Look at slide, uh, slide 35 quickly. You can look at it over the break, too. This is a picture of a bug. At the, well, it's really a crustacean like a, a lobster, but it's related to the little round roly-poly pill bugs that we see in the dirt, right? Except this one can get to two and a half feet long, and it's uh, there's a video you can see online on the Internet showing it attacking about a three-foot-long to four-foot-long shark and killing it. Um, so roly-poly in the deep. looks like my mother-in-law. <laughs> oh wow <laughs> you're in trouble <laughs> but uh, anyway you can click on that and see um, what our pill bug looks like down at the bottom to see what a surface pill bug looks like and the uh, the article is saying that they want to uh, call a halt to deep sea mining because it's uh, you know it's killing various types of sea life down at the bottom of these deep uh, mining structures which in the Red Sea is one of them as well but uh, I just thought it was interesting because I, I looked at that and 
yeah, two and a half that's times pretty, that. That's pretty crazy. Um, I saw a story today, I think it was on Drudge Report, it might still be there, about whales that have been killing great white sharks off the Cape in South Africa and removing their livers with surgical precision. Whales we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> I'll find well, the were they, Folks, were, they eating, were they eating the livers or just removing them? Liver, were, liver and onions. I think they were. I think they were eating them. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm going to find the story for when we come back on the other side, folks. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report with Stan Dale. He'll be with us till the end of the show through that next segment. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Uh, folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com. Masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High quality items, made in America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely. Eric said, it's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman the Hagman Report family, masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Caring Close in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to 18 major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We're offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues. And so can you. Check out our American Heritage Armies kit at www.changelosswoods.com. Your life may depend on it. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. You can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. Welcome 
back, ladies and gentlemen, to our final segment on this Tuesday edition of the Hagman Report. We are joined by Stan Dale. His website, standale.com. Bookmark that site. Check it daily. There is so much great content there from a whole host of important news stories that Holly posts early morning on a regular basis to the photo of the day, to the video of the day, all Stan's books, much of his lecture series, and so much more, as well as the show images page, which if you're watching on YouTube is on the right-hand side of the microphone, and you pull that up and you can follow along with uh, what Stan's talking about each time he comes on the show. Don't forget two things I want to mention before we get back to Stan. Tomorrow, uh, at 1 o'clock, I believe, yeah, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, I'll be on with uh, Alex Jones on InfoWars. I've got some information to pass along. Uh, tomorrow and uh, Rust Isdar and Craig Sawyer, the Sawman, tomorrow night. Gotta tell people about that tomorrow night. Uh, Craig Sawyer, the Sawman, and Rust Isdar. But now our good friend Stan Dale. Before we went to the break, uh, we were talking about the orca, you know, eating the liver and uh, basically everything in the the middle of the shark, you know, been killing them. They've been washing up on the coast of uh, South Africa. Uh, while we're at the break, I had a look at um, articles on the killer whales, and of course, they they eat uh, all kinds of fish. Uh, they're the top predator in the ocean, uh, the the orca whales. But the interesting part about it was that they are biting the shark with a big, you know, bite right in the middle of the shark. They don't get the gills. It's behind the gills. It's uh, ahead of the tail, right in the middle, and what they grab out, uh, like the the uh, liver and the testes of the male sharks, represents about 25%, one-fourth of the body weight oh. of, the, of the shark. There's no way they're going to survive that. So I had a look on WebMD for the uses of shark liver oil, which is really interesting. It brings up kind of an interesting question here. Shark liver oil is uh, used along with the usual cancer drugs to treat leukemia and other cancers. Shark oil is used to prevent radiation illness from cancer x-ray therapy, also to prevent common cold flu and swine flu, and to boost the body's immune system. It is also used for increasing white blood cell counts, which are wiped out, of course, during uh, chemotherapy. Now, you can apply shark liver oil directly to the skin and skin conditions, including skin cancer, to, to cure it. Is it possible that the change in the ultraviolet and various other radiation frequencies coming out of the sun are affecting the orca, and they are eating that to improve their health and uh, reduce you know, radiation to, uh, you know, damage to their skin because they do come to the surface and go back down? What do you think about that idea? It's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. But you know, I guess my it would have to be natural animal instinct that would uh, tell them to eat that part of the shark, would it not? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they come in waves down South Africa there. I guess when they're looking for the the um, local shark population there, uh, but then they'll probably wander off somewhere else and eat what else they need, you know, for the changing environment. But let's face it. Uh, South Africa, the, the seas down there are a long way from where you would think you'd have any Fukushima radiation in the water. But, you know, maybe it's reached parts, you know, uh, by going over to the, uh, well, I don't even know how to get it. have to go around the Cape. But uh, I suppose it could go westerly down there if the currents are right. And maybe they're being exposed to radiation uh, from, you know, Fukushima. Uh, and that's what they're eating to uh, to heal themselves. Interesting thought, though. And it's, I, 
didn't know that shark liver oil was uh, you know effective in that manner. But when you get a, the, the diagnosis on WebMD, you can pretty well trust that. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, that's very interesting. Wow, just just wow when you think about it. And, and I'm being very serious when I say that. It's it's an incredible. Um, you know, how can anyone deny intelligent design? Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I know. That's kind of a non sequitur, I suppose. But all right, I have an article on slide forty, which is, when you go to read the article, it's a weblog by a guy talking about the change in the rate of radioactive decay of certain elements. Now, radioactive decay is uh, the speed of it or the rate of it is telling how, say, one pound of a particular element, how long it takes for half of that element to be converted to energy and disappear, you know, so that its half-life is blah, blah, blah. This is how they date carbon-14 structures, and I've talked about this before, in that uh, the density of space affects the rate of radioactive decay of carbon-14 and other elements. Well, this is, a, you know, a little bit technical, but uh, definitely it tells you about silicon and radium and various other things they've been monitoring. Uh, to try to at Purdue University to try to figure out what is causing the radioactive decay of these elements to fluctuate almost daily. It's not like the universe is changing density almost daily, but what they found out was that when solar flares occur, <clears throat> that we see a, a a drop in the the speed of radioactive decay. So it takes longer for something to have its half life occur. But that's you know for that day for the for the uh, the solar flare coming out, and they tracked it back to something called a neutrino. Now, a neutrino is a allegedly a neutral particle, you know, with no magnetic field and no charge, whatever. That's not exactly true. It does have magnetic spin. I, I told them that years ago, and I finally proved it. But anyway, neutrinos are like, you know, the universe's magic bullet. A neutrino comes out of, let's say, a sun or, you know, a, a red giant or a number of issues out there that will produce neutrinos. They will go through oh, tens of thousands of miles of solid lead and not slow up, but keep on going. These things go through the planet like gangbusters. So the neutrino count, they've, they've determined the density you know, of the neutrinos coming from the sun affect the half-life of things that we use to date the universe and the Earth and the age of the solar system. Um, they find that this varies between uh, winter and summer. Uh, summer, we get closer to the sun, and the effect is stronger. It, it slows it down. So I thought, right, okay, in the beginning, our solar system would have been, you know, the sun would have been very hot and compact, and the solar flares may not have occurred at that age of the sun, uh, so that the, the uh, decay of the uh, half-life would have been a function of the density of space. But now... We see that the sun is aging, it's wearing out, and it's having more of these dark coronal holes and these solar flares, which tells us that we see a direct effect of neutrino count affecting the half-life. The more neutrinos, the slower the half-life. So maybe the neutrinos are a relatively new thing in our sun and our universe as far as the the effect on uh, half-lives. But it's an interesting article. It bears reading and throwing it into the mix uh, about... Uh, you know, the age of the universe and being able to date with, with uh, you know, half-life of carbon-14 or argon or some of the other uh, elements they 
Okay. Now, interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, I want you to keep an eye. Uh, you're going to have to, to read the article. You just see slide 34. Uh, Zion Oil and Gas. Uh, they're getting pretty excited. They've they've got a lease in the southern part, southeastern part of the Megiddo Plain, which is a little ways from the toe of Asher. But this is what they could get uh, cleared with the Israeli government at the moment. They've been fighting it for a couple of years to get permission to drill there. Well, they've already started drilling, as I said last week. They've got they're going to drill four drill holes down there in the Megiddo region in the in the area that's been allotted to them by the license from the government. Um, in in light of the fact that um, the Saudis oil supply is not you know maybe not even twenty five percent of what they say on print, this is an important development and could explain why the Armageddon War does occur in the Megiddo Valley because of the oil they find at the huge oil reserves. Um, if you read the report, they, they I think it's in this one here, I'll just check and see, but I think in this report they tell about how they figured out the the likelihood of the petroleum that they need there because this under this area they think connects out geologically to the Mediterranean where they have the gas wells, the huge gas finds that are, are being exploited now. Uh, and they think that the there are four levels uh, or geological strata they call them uh, with the potential for oil and gas where they're digging now and those are indirectly linked over to the Mediterranean now my figures uh, which you know I, I've uh, discussed before down in image uh, um, image uh, four the importance of strategic oil in Israel and those maps show you um, the blue lines that I take from uh, the oil up in the Golan Heights at Afek oil drill um, and how those underground channels take it to an area in uh, kind of north, well, kind of westerly Megiddo uh, near uh, the Elroy Petroleum Storage Facility. And the way I, uh, I tracked it was using my the, the knowledge I got from my dad, who was a petroleum engineer, about following you know where the oil fields would be, and the Bible, because the Bible tells us that there's a certain the oil that comes from the stone in English it's called a flinty stone or basinite, and there are only two outcroppings of that in Israel, in particularly in the Megiddo region, that are in the toe of Asher, the Asher's old territory, and I if you look at that uh, link uh, on uh, slide four. And you go over to that page, it would be the mm, one, two, three, four, fifth row down right image, elevated view of Elroy and the two base knot sites. That is, as best I can tell, where we will find the huge, huge oil reserves uh, and reservoirs that Israel needs. Um, and let's see, if we look at the slide next to that, um, yeah. Mm. yeah, to the lower right near Nahalal, uh, a, a kibbutz type thing, is where uh, Zion Oil is drilling between there and the uh, uh, the Jordan River. I'm just trying to see if there's any of these others that show a better picture of that. Uh, Migdal Ha'emek, yeah. Okay, well, anyway, you look down to the lower right side of this. If you get on Google Earth, and you'll see where... Uh, uh, Zion oil is drilling. All part of the political, uh, you know, and economic agenda of the Middle East, which affects all of us worldwide. 
Interesting. It, it, now, this could be this could turn into the spoils reference, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. And the fact that it's there for the Armageddon crisis, you know, the, at the end of the tribulation where they have the Armageddon conflict, it does ring true. China has built railways right up close to the border there. Uh, they've got huge uh, double boiler, steam boiler, U, uh, you know, UK designed steam engines that have each wheel in the steam engine weighs 12 tons. I mean, it's a big uh, thing. They've had it there for a number of years. One of my partners actually was over there and filmed it. Um, and the, the track they've laid will allow them to take that uh, uh, 200 million man army and rail them in to get the oil in the Middle East. But typical to the Chinese strategy, you know, art of war, what they're going to do is they're going to let uh, the Russians uh, and the Americans and Europe and the Arabs all fight each other, you know, for various reasons and various attacks on each one until they are depleted, till their armies and their and their technology is reduced to just non-effective. They're, they're tired. The um, uh, Genghis Khan you know, developed this. He said, look, let your enemies beat themselves to death. Go over and encourage them to beat each other to death. And when they're tired and, you know, spent, move in and pick up the pieces and, you know, rule all those countries. Well, to rule all of them, go grab the oil. So what they're going to do is they're going to, China's going to do what it can to get America, Russia, and, you know, North Korea, and, you know, all the, the others other than China to fight each other, which is happening now. And, but you see that China is preparing new islands with uh, military, you know, air bases and uh, you know, uh, submarine bases uh, offshore there in the China Sea <clears throat> in, in disputed areas, I grant you, but still they're doing it. And they're getting ready for a, a big push, not only to the west toward the oil fields, but toward Japan. Um, and that that will occur, I think, the majority of that at the end of the tribulation, where they come in and try to mop up everything, and that will be the Armageddon War. Now, the fact that they talk about the blood will rise to the depth of a bridle, a horse's bridle there, in the Hedo Plain, does indicate to me that we have some sort of an EMP attack in that region or in America, and they're both. Because why else would they have, you know, horses instead of, you know, tanks and, and aircraft? It, to me, it just speaks of that, that kind of an event. Interesting uh, perspective on that. Hmm. Yeah, well. In prophecy, isn't that one of the, the last uh, things that happens in Israel before the tribulation is the, or is it might even be during the tribulation that they discover this massive oil? Well, regardless of the time, I mean, it, it, it's, part, it's part and parcel to the prophecy. Yes. It, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, God's blessing on them was that the Asher, the, the tribe of Asher, their property would be such and such, and the little toe that comes out from the foot of it, which is just uh, southeast of Haifa a bit, uh, that little toe uh, is blessed with the oil that comes from the rock, a certain kind of rock. And that's a blessing. If you talk to the, um, the rabbis, the scholarly rabbis on this, there, they say that uh, yes, in the Toe of Asher there is a huge oil reservoir, the biggest in the world, but it's deep, it's about five miles down. And they say they've already uh, talked to some of the Arab countries about this, and this is like 30 years ago even. Um, and the Arabs said, don't even drill it, don't even try to take the oil out of that because you'll be stealing our oil, which is on, the, the, the Arab countries are higher ground than Israel. And so how can Israel by drilling
drilling into that huge oil field and taking how can they be stealing from the Arab oil wells, which are higher ground? Uh, because it's not like, um, you know, the oil runs uphill without some pressure on it. Um, and the pressure is on the oil wells, the reservoirs in northern Israel there in the Megiddo area. Huge reservoir pressure, gas pressure, and you can see that because they've already got gas coming out off of the Levant area of the Mediterranean. You know, and that gas pressure is, of course, what has pushed the uh, Israeli oil up into the Arab oil wells. And now you hear Saudi Arabia, you know, uh, young Prince Salman saying, we're going to reduce our dependence on oil revenues and go to other things. And it's already been rumored by Wall Street that they only have a, a fourth at most of the oil that they've st- stated in the, the uh, IPO that they're listing for the sale of 5% of Aramco. So they're, they already know that their oil is dwindling there in Arabia and certainly the neighboring uh, countries that are producing oil. So, okay, they only had oil because the oil, uh, the gas pressure in the Israeli oil fields is pushing it uphill. Uh, if anything, the Arabs have been living off of the oil reservoir in Israel, which has not been uh, developed yet, which has pushed it uphill. Um, it, the the uh, discussions between some of the Arab countries, particularly Saudi Arabia and Israel, some years ago about this, was that if you, you drill that, well, consider it an act of war because you're stealing our oil. And that's completely backwards. It's just not the way it's done. <laughs> Uh, you know, the Arabs didn't drill slant wells down into Israel. It's too far and it wouldn't work. But anyway, that's why this is important to, uh, for uh, proving prophecy and for knowing of why uh, there would be you know, a spoil there to take. And uh, I think it's going to happen in the early part of the tribulation, uh, very early part, that the oil is discovered in Israel. And certainly the Zion Oil Company uh, drilling, which is you know, a Dallas-based corporation, um, they are pushing hard to get oil somewhere in the Megiddo Plain. And I've talked with them. I've sent them data on this as well uh, and my findings on the uh, Plenty Stone up there and, uh, you know, uh, closer to Haifa than where they're drilling now. Still in the Megiddo Plain, but exactly in the ancient toe of Asher, the, the boundary line. Um, the big problem is being able to get a drilling permit there plus funding, you know, from the shareholders in Zion. But they're in the right area, and maybe they'll get some of it there as well. Okay. Stan, moving moving forward here, something that uh, made news a little bit later in the day, and people are saying it's just the beginning of another worldwide uh, cyber attack. Uh, image number 47, new ransomware attack is infecting airlines, banks, and utilities across Europe. What have you heard about this? Well, that story is uh, one of uh, four or five that Holly's got on the news page today, and uh, certainly you can read the report. Um, the, it does look like it's a test case. If it's the Russians or the Chinese, I'm not sure both could have the technology to do it. And going in the art of war, China could be blaming this on Russia and uh, causing you know the, the collapse or the the uh, downing uh, of Ukraine's central bank and and. When you start playing with banks and getting through them, okay, Ukraine may not have what the United States and uh, other European countries have as far as security, but it is a worry that they're hitting not only the banks, but the power supplies and the airports, things like this. Um, You know, somebody, I'm sure they're doing a test run to see what resistance they meet and how people react when they... they, uh, disable their ATMs or aircraft or banking facilities. Can you imagine what would happen 
here if uh, you couldn't access your bank to do uh, you know credit card purchasing you couldn't get cash you couldn't get an ATM to work um, what kind of chaos would ensue in the country I mean we're totally dependent on stuff like that yeah that that, that would be a problem to be to say the least um, just imagine well combine just add that to the mix of things yeah wow well, this is, you know, this kind of attack here is a lot of ransomware. But, you know, uh, last year the Israelis, uh, their whole power grid got hit. Uh, mid-2016, I think, something like that, image 46, you can go to that news story and look. Um, but that could trigger what we're looking at here a little earlier in slide 43 and 44 about the Great Recession. Now, you know, uh, in slide 44, they say... Great recession fears as bankers warn next global crash could arrive with a vengeance. Um, and, you know, China, they, they say China is the one that's probably going to have the recession hit them first. Uh, you know, the United States has had its uh, time at it and, uh, uh, in 2007 and eight, and the U.K. was in that as well. So the two major powers have already been through it once, but we're so dependent on trade and financing from China in the world that if they have a recession, we're going to feel it uh, in a big way. And the, probably the initial reaction of the world banking system will be to raise interest rates across the planet to try to stave off the problem. But then that will hit the global housing market, that will hit the global lending market, and it won't be a recession. You know, it, it's going to swing into something, I think, uh, much more severe. You know, even if you have gold and silver stashed away, People aren't going to be likely to uh, take your gold and silver for things like fuel and stuff like that because they want the fuel. They don't want your gold and silver. They want what it buys. And this is why we've stressed so many times, get the stuff, you know, the food, the medicine, it's spare diesel or gas or whatever you run your generator on, have a generator. Get it in hand because even if you've got gold, silver, and dollar bills, which will all be useless basically, uh, you're not going to be able to buy the stuff because the stuff is more valuable than what you would, you would buy with as far as coinage. You know, yeah, there's only going to be a short window there where gold and silver will be of any value, and that'll be in the early days or weeks of the uh, recession when it hits um, and, and the collapse of the global economy. And then when everybody figures out, well, heck, I don't want your gold and silver. I want you know your food. I want your your fuel and stuff like that. That's when all these things that people have been putting away will then start to lose value very quickly. So, Stan, what do you think about Janet Yellen uh, stating today that another financial crisis is not likely in our lifetime? <laughs> well, it must be somebody trying to stave off the panic. That's all I can figure. Um, no, I don't. I, I think that's nonsense. We're going to have yeah. that, that financial collapse. There's just no way out of it. Now we're heading on a downhill spiral, and things are being propped up. Look, what we got a twenty-one thousand five hundred dollar, uh, you know, Dow Jones Industrial Day somewhere at that, that point. That is so so inflated by the derivative market, which has no asset value to it at all. It's just gambling. That when it does start to collapse, and people start to sell off, their, you know, start to short their uh, what they call short their uh, derivatives and stuff like that. It would just be a house of cards that come tumbling down. Um, you know, 401k, stuff like that, that are relying on share market values, 
be sadly depreciated, <laughs> sadly. So I, I'm not impressed with that announcement uh, or that opinion. It, if you read all the other major financial analysts, um, you know, our gross uh, domestic product ratio for, is like 250%, like two and a half times our, our debt is to what we're producing in our gross national product. Uh, and, and, you know, these are figures coming from nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office projects. Um, and it's just getting worse. They don't project it getting any less. And that's like saying you've got a budget in your household where, you know, uh, you earn, um, you know, $100,000 a year. Well, well, that'd be nice. But you earn $100,000 a year, but your debt that you owe is you know, $250,000, and you're not gaining on it. You're, you're, you're losing. You're getting in, into debt further every year. And you can, there's no way you can pay it off, uh, you know, at that rate. So on the national level, this is what we're seeing. I think you can look at some of this stuff and some nice graphs and, and, and uh, articles on that position in uh, slide 43. Yeah, slide okay. 43. 43. Um, yeah. There's another little interesting thing here uh, in slide 42. You know how I talk about toroidal, uh, or toroids, you know, smoke rings, that kind of stuff for propulsion? Yes. Well, in slide 42... Uh, NASA has got uh, is using a device called an aerospike engine, which they've known about for you know probably a decade or so. But they had already gone with the the von Braun uh, type of uh, nozzle you know, for their uh, Saturn uh, rocket. But they're, they're looking at this now because using this picture you can see here of this cone shaped uh, round version of the aerospike, it's a toroidal aerospike engine, and it is thirty percent more efficient. And the way they're doing it now. So when everybody's cost-cutting and, you know, trying to get more bang for the buck, this is what they're doing. They're going to, they're already starting to test this stuff. So you can look at those links. There's two of them in that slide 42 to see about this new toroidal uh, exhaust. Um, it's not the one, they've got it on the back of the rocket, whereas I would put it on the front and do a spin on it. But basically, it is still a toroid, and it's more efficient. Um, I saw, uh, gosh... Uh, down in Australia, a guy had invented uh, a new kind of a shape for the top of your pistons in your, your car engine. And it was a, uh, a type of thing. They had a little little mountain in the middle of the, the top of the, uh, the head of the cylinder. And what it was doing was forming, as the compression occurred in the cylinder, it was forming a curl, a smoke ring, if you wish, but it was a, a, a fuel ring, a uh, ring shape like a donut that made a more efficient burn, increased energy efficiency just by using a toroidal shape to the injected fuel. Um, <clears throat> and last week I did mention, too, uh, if you go to slide 41, uh, that Israel was getting closer to Tanzania. And, uh, you know, this week they announced uh, really big joint tourism ventures between Israel and uh, Tanzania going both ways, trying to get... Uh, tourism from Tanzania to Israel and Israel to Tanzania. The Israeli involvement in, in Tanzania really catches my attention because of locating the Garden of Eden in Tanzania, in Angoro. Um, right. And that's one of the yeah. things that they they push in the travel brochures. That, 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 very interesting uh, takeaway from that or pick up on that. That's good, Stan. Wow. Well, you know what? You, you've done it. You've taken us to the end of the program. There it's you go. That's a sad thing. Sad thing. No more to talk about, hey? That's right. <laughs> Lots more to talk about yet. It's a great interview, as always, Dan. All righty, guys. Yeah, brother. Thanks, man. Lord bless Appreciate you. It. See you next week. All right.
Sandale, sandale.com, uh, Tuesday night special, really. As opposed to the Saturday night special. Tuesday night special. Don't forget tomorrow, rest is there, and, uh, oh. Craig, the song, to, tell Sawyer, a friend, tell OB. your family, tell them on though. On together, so right. don't miss that. Until then, stay safe, God bless, and have a great night. Yeah.